Blog Talk Radio. humanity, human being, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace, live beyond love beyond your skin to where you belong Original one. 
So I wrote this briefly, so I, I didn't hope that I cleared the people in terms of some of the real obstacles uh, in a way in the society in terms of pursuit of just, real justice in the society. Now, a recent Supreme Court ruling held state prisoners may not present new evidence in federal court in support of a claim defense counsel was ineffective in presenting evidence that could have exonerated the accused. <clears throat> in a 6-3 split among the Supreme Court, conservative justices ruled compelling information not presented by the defendant's lawyer could no longer be used as a basis for appeal in federal court. In essence, the Supreme Court ruled the Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which guaranteed criminal defendants the right to effective lawyering, is, is no longer guaranteed, which means innocent individuals will be incarcerated, along with the estimated 20,000 people who are being falsely imprisoned yearly. <coughs> when Justice Sotomayor calls the ruling perverse, she's only scratching the surface. In a system established to maximize incarceration of poor people, particularly African and Latin people, by using coercive strategies for, to force people to plead guilty to crimes they have not committed, speak to perversion, says Sotomayor. Typically, prosecutors employ plea bargains in which defendants are threatening long prison sentences if they do not plead guilty. <clears throat> this strategy is, is effective because the states have unlimited resources, and such resources can be used to create the perception of guilt or conceal information that is favorable to the defendant. Faced with a 25 years to life compared to five years in prison is an easy choice to make. The fact defendants are defended by, <coughs> defended by court-appointed lawyers puts defendants at a disadvantage. Excuse me one second. <coughs> Salaries for court-appointed attorneys are relatively low. Obviously, the resources defense attorneys need are not available, and as a consequence, investigative resources are not available. Lack of resources make mounting a vigorous defense of poor defendants impossible, and as a consequence, the pressure on the court-appointed lawyer to seek a plea from their client is substantial. In addition, court-appointed attorney salaries are usually based per defendant, or in the case of Virginia, salary is hourly based based on a type of crime, which is very, very low, <clears throat> only $90 per hour. Now, keeping in mind that the standard for hours is, is deceptive because most of these trials don't take very, very long to, to dispose of. Now, disposing of cases can be paying or rent or homelessness for a defense counsel. The opinion to get the Sixth Amendment offered by Justice Thomas underscores the authoritarian strain of the U.S. Constitution. This ruling elevates the power of the state at the expense of justice. Thomas' position alleges allowing appeals for an effective counsel would cause unnecessary delays in rendering retributive and deterrent functions of criminal law. He went on to say, quote, <clears throat> intervention by federal courts in terms of appeal is an affront to the state and the citizen who return a verdict of guilty, end quote. Thomas' convoluted logic becomes even more apparent when he poses a supposition equating the state judicial system on par with the federal judicial system. Thomas' assertion federal courts lack the the competence and authority to relitigate a state's criminal court cases calls into question the very function of federal courts as a final arbiter of establishing the interpretation of law. By allowing the states to interpret the correctness of laws, it makes it possible to establish precedent, which is key to establishing uniformly, <coughs> excuse me, it makes it impossible to establish precedent, which is key to establishing uniformly <coughs> of applying law. 
Thomas proposes 49 states, each creating its own precedent of law, ensure no consensus will be established with regard to interpretation of law. Thomas' motivation appears to be less concerned about procedural injustices committed by the state that complicates the appellate process in state courts. State appellate processes tend to be notorious for establishing standards <coughs> to not justify appeals. All of the state appellate courts would rule no reversal error was committed during the trial, and as such, no basis exists to review the, the case. Even when trial transcripts indicate information that could have exculpated or proved the innocence of the defendant had been abridged or denied by prosecutors, state appellate courts mandate it's not necessary to uphold justice but to validate states' institutions by legitimizing their existence. State appellate courts' decisions have the impact of creating a perception <coughs> all legal safeguards were in place and the trial the defendant received was fair. <coughs> Excuse me. However, examples are bound where the legal safeguards were not evident. In fact, the adversarial character of the justice system does not lend itself to safeguarding rights. Instead, the criminal justice system focus is to win at all costs. Once a defendant is charged with a crime, particularly poor people, the impetus of the criminal justice system is to secure a win, even if that defendant is innocent. In the case of the Central Park Five, legal authorities were aware the five youth charged with assaulting a woman in Central Park were not were not in the vicinity at the time of the crime when the woman was sexually abused. No proximity, no DNA, no motive. In order to consider the innocence of the youth, the lead, lead detective was transferred from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Despite both the prosecutor Linda Feinstein and legal authorities knowing the youth were not knowing the youth were innocent. They chose to pursue charges against the youth because of political concerns. During the era of rising crime and perceived lawlessness among youth, these five African and Latin youth were perfect for showcasing the need for law and order. Complicity among legal authorities resulted in one youth, one youth Kerry Wise, spending 13 years in prison while the other four spent seven years. The manipulation employed by the legal authorities disadvantaged youth, but, more, but no more than Kerry Wise. Wise's intellectual deficits and chaotic life ensure authorities were able to coerce Curry Wise <coughs> and use much of his recollection, which authorities created in his mind to create the perception that youth was culpable. Luckily, the real corporate, the real person responsible for the, for the rape of that woman in Central Park and community awareness, pressure, <coughs> pressure was such, the case was relitigated in state appellate court in New York State, and the youth were free, subsequently free from prison. Defendant lawyers sued New York City authorities for illegal civil rights violations despite claims by city officials the state acted in good faith and improbable cause. Federal Judge Deborah A. Bass determined, <clears throat> determined not to continue the cover-up, allowed the suit around civil rights violations to go forward. Consequently, the youth prevailed and were paid $40 million, $8 million individually. Thank goodness Judge Bass, unlike Judge Thomas, understood the federal court's role in checking state power and abuses and in the process reinforced the truth meaning of justice. And I close that, Brother Africa. <coughs> Thank you, Brother Haiti. Next, we'll bring in Brother Anthony, and we're going to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, can you hear us? Yes. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you for having me, uh, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you 
uh, the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Okay, Father Brother Anthony, we're now going to bring in Brother Moses, and we'd like to welcome him to this week, Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe women hold up half the sky. That's why I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. Um, As Malcolm X said, it's going to be the ballot or the bullet. And um, right now it's the ballot, and if we have to be organizing, organizing, and organizing for that day uh, of the bullet. But um, it's great to be on the show again, and thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. Moses, and for Brother Moses, we're going to Sister Eleanor, and we'd like to welcome her as well to Africa on the Move. Welcome. Thank you, Brother Africa, and uh, my name is Eleanor Johnson, and thank you to our listeners in the U.S. and around the world and to our to my fellow panelists and to you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show this evening. My name is, once again, is Eleanor Johnson. I'm a human rights advocate, an environmentalist, artist, and educator, and um, as Brother Moses said, our goal should be to mobilize and organize uh, people in the United States, for example, as the authoritarian Donald Trump has done, where he's 40 million plus strong. We can do this by addressing the issues in our community and taking over and affecting change step by step. These are simple reforms. The only way the people can really be free is to take over the means of production. And he who holds the means of production, who is able to produce their own energy and resources, controls their community. So thank you once again for allowing me to be on the show this evening. And I would like to add to what Brother Haki said about the U.S. Supreme Court. It is a unbelievable court in that people like uh, we now have what we call originalists. There have only been six in the history of the Supreme Court. So they're taking archaic, you know, Constitution on face value. So we've seen this week where they have uh, reversed the 100-year-old state law in New York allowing people to carry concealed weapons. You know, at least in Texas you have to wear them or show them and check them in in restaurants and stuff. But now we're going to have New York as a place where people argue, meet, millionaires, billionaires on the train with homeless people, and now we're going to let somebody carry a concealed weapon. It's outrageous. We also took away a woman's right to control 
but her body, her family, in a country that doesn't feed women and children, doesn't feed the poor, that tells them, I'm not the cause of your poverty or your lack of education. So we've seen outrageous things. We also have seen uh, just awful decisions this week. It's just unbelievable that such a thing could happen. And we've joined one of only four countries to ban abortions. That's El Salvador, Nicaragua, the United States, and I can't remember the fourth. And we continue to uh, rage on with what I believe is a war by proxy against the Russians and expanding NATO, which is dangerous for all people, especially African people, and that we're arming Europeans with weapons that they've never had or didn't even exist on planet Earth. This is a danger for not only democracy globally, and it's all about oil and gas for the EU because they don't wish to pay market rate and rubles for oil and gas, as I said in my belief. They'd rather pay commodity prices like they pay in Africa for gold and oil and diamonds and then sell at market rate, but they need it for their economy. So they've joined in this new thing with the U.S. Also, countries like Poland want to have these NATO weapons, and we're going to train and provide them over the next 10 years. And as Anthony, as Blinken said, or if I'm pronouncing his name right, the Secretary of State of the United States of America said that the U.S. has been training the Ukrainian and ethnic group uh, in Russia, a Russian ethnic group, for 23 years at sea and land to defeat Mother Russia. Now, why would you divide a people? Just because the Lone Star State can become an individual country, the Russians haven't been over here training them to secede from the United States. This is, this is these are difficult me. days. All right, thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you. And all we want to be mindful of sharing the time collectively. That's all we're trying to do. We love you, our sister. But let's move on to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, welcome to Africa on the Move. Good evening, Pan-African and Revolutionary Greeters, Brother Africa, and fellow panelists on the call. Thank you so much again for having me here tonight. My name is Brother Maurice. I'm a worker for the people, a supporter of the AAPRPGC, and an organizer for the PRSP, Pan-African Revolutionary uh, Socialist Party. Um, Please join the organization more than ever. We need all masses of people involved in this struggle against capitalism and and imperialism. Um, Organize, 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 forever, backwards, never. Thank you, Brother Maurice. And, of course, this is South Africa. You listen to... Africa on the Moon. This is on the third day of July, 2022. Our theme tonight is how the elite control the world. That's going to be our key discussion tonight. But in the meantime, what we're going to do is take a revolutionary break, and when we come back, we're going to have a discussion with our political panelists and analysts on what's going on in our world and the community. And you can join us for dialing in at uh, by dialing in at 
I have a brain freeze right there. Our number is 323-679-0841. 323-679-0841. So let's continue this party. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the move. At yesterday's White House press briefing, Jen Psaki claimed that there are potentially thousands of new COVID cases in South Africa. Therefore, she said a travel ban against several countries in southern Africa will remain in effect. One reporter from Africa was in the room. He wasn't buying it. Objective is. I have to wrap this up in a minute, but Patsy, yeah, go ahead. Patsy, Patsy, go ahead. Go ahead. Just following up, following up. Patsy, I just answered. Simon.
before the shit start, before it get dark, before they hit you with the pitchfork. Better crib walk, crib this walk. is real talk. Smoke, push, and push, then we peel off. Niggas still running with the wheels off. Always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross. Always winning, nigga get lost. It's the warlord, bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you, that leave that boy alone, like home alone. Yeah. Fuck a skull and bone, arrest the president. You got the evidence, that nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours. Did you know the new white was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns. They trying to replace my halo with thorns. You so basic with your bake sticks. Let's go ape shit in the matrix. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I took back my eyes and all black tonight. That's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice. Not a criminal. No, I'm a seminal. Yeah. I was free once, now I'm clinical. You so technical. This was Mexico. Now everywhere I go is owned by Mexico. Fuck them. Fuck them and the rest Hell of you. Yeah. I turn a phone to a bash I'ma roll with the aliens. Man, fuck these homo sapiens. They don't really wanna make friends. All they want is a Mercedes Benz. All they want is they dividends and decibels. Fuck these citizens. They'll treat us like hooligans. Throw him in, they don't care what school he in. These people don't play fair. It ain't even fair at the state fair. Give a young nigga gray hair. That's why I'm here. Make your ass lay there. You better stay there. Close your fucking eyes like a daycare. Make myself clearer than Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the record, you affected. Who you elected is so skeptic. So full of shit, I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. Yeah. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. Damn. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. Yeah. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Yeah. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. That's what they're saying on the corner. Arrest the president. You have the evidence. What do you all think about this? Should the former, so-called former president of the U.S. government be arrested? Let's get some opinions so far from our political panelists and analysts as we make our transition to what's going on in your world and the community. <laughs> 
You can call in and share your thoughts with us right now at 323-609-0841. Rest of President, Brother Haki, they say they have the evidence. What is your verdict so far on this phenomenon, Brother Haki? I, 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 I agree with the brothers. Uh, arrest the president. Arrest all of them, as a matter of fact. But, no, speaking of presidents, Brother Africa, we can't talk about them without talking about the inevitability of, uh, of fascism. It's, it's very interesting to me today the discussion still persists in terms of whether or not fascism is a potential threat in America. It seems to me that by this point in time, this point in history, that most people should be intimately aware that fascism is very much part you know, of, uh, of America's future. But in event, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out. Now, Tony Morrison, a prolific female writer back in 1995, illuminated the inevitability of fascism in America, drawing a coronary between persistent U.S. racism and inequality facilitated by capitalism. The solution for national crisis is an easy choice for political elites to make, that is, to legitimize conditions leading to the expansion of fascism. A generalization of fascism would follow a well-established <clears throat> blueprint established by fascist regimes of the past. This blueprint is relatively simplistic but very effective. First, construct an internal enemy. In the case of the U.S., racism serves as a perfect foundation to coalesce agreement Africans are indeed the enemy. Next, isolate and demonize the internal enemy, followed by state power, usually in the form of an individual, to organize fascist sympathies like the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, etc., and finally, <clears throat> use the power of the media to convince the population fascism is their only solution. Now, in order to understand the appeal of fascism, we must appreciate the role of economics, more specifically the decline of economics that exposes systematic vulnerabilities. Kiyosaki, the economist, stated, America has stopped producing products. We produce bubbles. He went on to say, we now have bubbles in real estate, the stock market, <clears throat> and the bond market. Bubbles are simply a concept denoting over-concentration of wealth that empowers wealthy individuals to acquire more assets, which drives up the price of assets, making such assets unattainable to most people, which undermines the economy by preventing the circulation of money through the system. In other words, the over-accumulation of wealth eventually explodes, and the result is inflation, recession, and ultimately depression. Now, potential for bubbles systematically underscores the pension for crisis in capitalism. While crises brought on by capitalism are numerous, the disparity of wealth not only creates challenges for the economic system, but devastation for both the planet and humans. With fewer and fewer people having access to more and more capital, the wealth of the few few economic powers grow exponentially. Expansion of economic power also increases visibility. Visibility invites questions pertaining to wealth inequality in society. Such inquiries are not in the interest of economic elites, and a different narrative must be crafted to create the perception a better life is possible and access to a better standard of living for the middle income is attainable. Typically, Congress is tasked with the responsibility of promoting the idea middle income concerns are valued and addressed. For example, Senate is currently in the process of finding, <clears throat> finalizing a bill called Enhancing America Retirement Now. This bill would create a situation where high-income earners can delay withdrawal retirement accounts, giving them three extra years of tax-free growth. In addition, this income group can deposit an additional $10,000 per year in their retirement accounts as early as, as early as age 60 years of age. Ironically, the same enthusiasm to push economic benefits to the wealthy are non-existent for the poor. Strategies that systematically transfer wealth from the poor 
in the form of Social Security tax cuts, including medical, Medicare cuts, child welfare, and education, makes it possible for such policies to be enacted without the slightest hint of hypocrisy. Even though politicians routinely disregard the interests of poor people, the level of anger growing in U.S. society is palpable. A recent University of Chicago poll indicates 50% of the U.S. population considers the U.S. government corrupt. This report goes on to say 28% of the population feel taking up arms against the U.S. government is the only solution. Now, the demarcation between Republicans and Democrats is striking. Republicans who define themselves as conservatives supported armed struggle against the U.S. government by a margin of 38%. Moderate Republicans, those less ideologically driven, supported taking up arms against the U.S. by 36%. Most Democrats, the poll concludes, <coughs> are disagree taking up arms against the U.S. is a worthy strategy. And viewing the poll, a very strange paradox is unavoidable. In a country where conservative values, the status quo has prevailed, starting with Nixon, discontent among Republicans is disconcerting. U.S. power structures overwhelmingly white males. Corporations are owned and operated by white males, as well as controlling the political apparatus of the state. One could only surmise Republican discontent resonate out of feeling of being deceived, that the social contract for white people stipulates a life relatively free of stress and material comfort has been violated. Perhaps it is this application of the social contract by political elites guided by the limits of capitalism that resonates. Now, capitalism as a system is inherently unstable. The industrialization policy of the 70s and the 80s was done to maximize profits, relocating businesses abroad, employing foreign nationals at subpar wages have been very lucrative for capitalist investments, but has gravely undermined the U.S. economy. By elevating profits over nation, the spiritual unemployment, homelessness, medical care, <coughs> lack of medical care, and education have been in decline over the last 40 years. With this decline comes an increase in people who are adversely affected. The challenge of the ruling class in managing an ever-increasing number of disenchanted people relies on strategy. The tried-and-true method of fascism is the perfect strategy of misdirection. Utilizing the media to reinforce the notion of <clears throat> the economic crisis sweeping the U.S. as a result of Democrats and their liberal, liberal messaging is perfect in sowing division. But it will not end the underlying weaknesses of capitalism. However, what it will do is establish the perfect conditions for fighting between citizens, which can be redirected by, by authorities <coughs> and established enemies of the state, which provides the state more time to in turn or mass incarcerate large number of its own citizens. With fascism, <clears throat> will fascism achieve its mandate to, ma- to maintain control by the ruling elites forever? Certainly not. History is clear on that point. But history is also clear uh, that the needless suffering as a result of, uh, of fascism will ensue. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, they say arrest the president. You had the evidence. Where are you at on this issue? And what's going on in your world and the community? Like to show, brother. While we wait for brother Anthony to talk to us, let's see if we go. We go there to brother Moses. Brother Moses, they said arrest the president. They have the evidence. What is your position on that, brother Moses? Where are you at, brother Moses? Thank you, thank you. Um, definitely, they have the evidence. Um, I think Liz Cheney speaks as well as anybody on this issue. Um, 
I think she clarifies the issue with the question of the Constitution, the question of democracy. Uh, those people who still believe in, in democracy, um, certainly as a, as a communist, it's my duty to struggle for democracy, and I have to be one of the most democratic per people on in the struggle if I'm a true communist. That's because because the people the people um, have the right to decide their own destiny, and uh, and um, you know we we need structures, and uh, we can't we uh, how to choose our leadership is is, uh, is 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 a lot easier said than done. I mean you know uh, Trump wants to be a leader. Biden wants to be a leader. Uh, the left has different organizations that want to be leaders. Uh, the question is, how do we choose leaders? How do we, how does, or who, how do we determine who's a leader? Is it just might makes right? Uh, but anyway, um, what's going on in my world? Uh, I, I support the impeachment. I mean the 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 prosecution of Donald Trump to the fullest. And uh, I think that's the key issue right now. Um, the, any anti-fascist forces, um, the Democratic, the Socialists, the Communists, should all be rallying around um, and trying to get this, this thing done. Um, meanwhile, we have to continue to organize and organize and organize. Uh, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Let's see if we can come back to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, can you hear us? What's going on in your world in the community? Brother Anthony. We seem to still have some technical difficulty with Brother Anthony. We're going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, they say arrest the president. They have the evidence. Where are you in the position? And What's going on in your world in the community? Well, I think the hearing with uh, the young woman's Hesha Hutchinson's testimony uh, says it all. And Liz Cheney, a solid Republican, but just not a authoritarian and still believes in the Constitution and world, word of law. Clearly, uh, Donald Trump uh, if it hadn't been for someone stopping him and uh, from going up on the hill, because in his speech on January 6th when there was the insurgents and the coup d'etat attempt to take over the U.S. Capitol and hang uh, Mike Pence, clearly uh, he would have drove up on the Capitol, and he said so that day. But what's really important, Brother Africa, is this uh, Supreme Court. Because the next thing it's going to take up is voting and affirmative action. Now, with voting, they're able to restrict and limit who votes, and and uh, we've seen that, uh, uh, you know, namely affirmative action and election laws and business regulations are what this court is going to take up next. Now, they want to limit. Congress's control over business, and we saw this week where they they restricted EPA's control over the environmental laws in this country. 
Now, affirmative action is one of the few things that really affects African Americans instead of in terms of university admission and um, jobs. Now, clearly, you know, with um, a, a new emerging population of uh, uh, new Americans, Latinos, and others who know they're not black, they're not they're not colored. They declare themselves white, not by genetics, because clearly they're not many or most of them, but by the U.S. and its new policy. If you look at the Proud Boys, that guy clearly ain't white, but he he knows he's not a descendant of free slaves. And um, so these are big concerns in in my world right now. And uh, these are real dangers uh, because the issue of systemic racism towards African Americans in this country continues to grow. You would think when we have our brothers and sisters from Central and South America who have African blood running and indigenous blood that they created a new race as well as Spaniard blood would have more solidarity with us. And many do, millions do, but some is questionable. But the court itself will take advantage of this situation and I think the biggest danger right now is the impact on the environment through this court in restricting the EPA's actions, saying that Congress must determine what the EPA can do, and uh, voters' rights and affirmative action. Then from there they're going to take other people out because, as Clarence Thomas wrote in his decision, he's against same-sex marriage, the uh, LGBT rights, contraception, Uh, I mean, let the list go on. He's going to take us back to the 19th, 18th century. This is a a real danger. And as Brother Moses said and Brother Aki, you know, uh, capitalism and U.S. imperialism is a real problem, but this authoritarianism, you know, that governments, we see it in Brazil, we see it other places, but we saw it with the election of Donald Trump. And as we say, we need to organize, organize our voters, organize our environmentalists, organize our affirmative rights folks, organize, 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 because Trump and his people are organized. We saw with Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse, he had a multi-million dollar legal fund. Where did a, a teenager get that from? Organization. We saw 11 states drop anti-abortion laws the day Roe was reversed. Where'd they get that from? Organization. Big money organized behind this anti-human rights. I mean, to take away a that's anti-human rights. You're going to take away a woman's right of choice? You're going to leave? And, and remember, about 38% of the abortions in some states are um, state um, you know, funded abortions were to African American women. So other women gonna still have abortions. Women are gonna have abortions, but poor women won't. Black women won't. But what's going on here? Something really wrong. But uh, this is a real danger, and the U.S. Supreme Court is uh, out of control. They're power hungry, and as Kavanaugh wrote in his decision. Oh, my goodness. What is Justice Burke Kavanaugh, one of the impatient, uh, just call him one of the impatient uh, 
Ambitious Five, who especially singled out those uh, other rights were safe. He said that same-sex marriage and interracial marriage or conception, contraception were uh, birth control were safe. So he's on their calendar next year. They're going for the environment. They're going for affirmative action, and they want to restrict government's right to control corporations. So it's a dangerous time in our country, and it's time for everyone to organize. But right now we have a simple reform that our ancestors have fought for and died for, and that was the right to vote. And they want to restrict voting, because if you restrict voting, like in Alabama, the case that's coming before them, they stuck all blacks in one district. Now, they have seven districts, and they're willing to go for that. But that will have a greater impact not only on Alabama in this republic, but also on the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Senate. So we got to fight hard. And why is it that African Americans, we got to determine whether or not we can vote uh, every quarter century or something like that. Why is Lyndon Baines Johnson's Voters' Rights Act, you know, that's what uh, Lewis wanted to affirm forever through the you know, the two voting acts that are sitting up on the hill. Why can't we get it done? And we know why, because we got one waffling Democrat, and the Republicans are, you know, we elected a cult member. Look at that Green, Taylor Green. So our Congress is weak. The U.S. Congress is weak and miseducated and uninformed, but the electorate had to be even weaker. But the electorate won in 2020. So we need to get folks registered to vote and organize and organize and organize and form organizations. Right now we should have be sending our $10 down to the brother who's suing in Georgia, a neurosurgeon, because he was great in the beginning. Now he's nothing. All right. Thank you, brother. All right. Let's move on, Brother Maurice. They tell us you have the evidence, rest the president. What you where is you at on that position and what's going on in your world in the community, Brother Marie? Yes. Yes, yes. Uh not only should we should arrest the president, he's just the individual. Uh or any president, they just the individual. We need to arrest capitalism, we need to eradicate it, imperialism, capitalism. You, it need it needs to go. It needs to die. Um, and whoever, honestly, uh, abashed by capitalism, they need to go along with it because capitalism is 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 a sick system that allows sickness go goes on. Now you said something that's going on in current events or in my world. One of the things that that runs rap, rampant under capitalism is rape in Brazil. You have more than 17,000 children aged between 10 years and 14 years of, of age becoming pregnant each year, you know, according to, you know, their government figures. They are five times more likely to die in childbirth than women over 20 years old and also have greater chances of suffering uterine ruptures um, and other, other issues with their body because they are still developing. They are children, for God's sake. They are children. They're youth. Now, speaking of presidents, the president of Brazil, 
Yair Bolsonaro, uh, he tweeted out and stated that the baby had seven months of gestation, regardless of how he was conceived or whether or not he is protected under law. It is uh, inadmissible to talk about taking away the life of, of this defenseless being. Now he he is he is he is uh, playing playing more learning more about the the policy of abortion than more about the humanism of these of these young girls, these children being taken advantage of. Um, and you can only imagine um, when we're talking about African or Afghan to move, most of these victims, if not some of these victims, are of Afro-Cuban. I mean, Afro-Brazilian, my apologies, African. So this 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 is what's going on in, 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 in the world. It's sickening. You know, I work with kids every day in the education of system, and, and it's and it just it's, it's pitiful and it's, it's sickening. And it's very is inhumane, but when you got a system of capitalism going on, a system of oppression going on, this stuff runs rampant. It ran rampant, rampant under slavery. It runs rampant in any in any type of of of, of fashion in the form of buck breaking, forced incest, incest. Come on, man, we can go down a line uh, historically. When we're talking about slavery, which gave birth to capitalism, Bushgate, you know, it, it's important for us to educate ourselves of, about tactics and, and uh, tactics and, and, and strategies, uh, you know, because we celebrated Kwame Ray, uh, also known as Sophie Carmichael, this past week. His, his, it's his birthday, his Earth Day. And in the words of him, you have to understand and study this vicious system of capitalism. You know, we, 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 Pan-Africanism is needed more than ever before. And as a Pan-Africanist, honestly and sincerely, we have, we, we are, we never recover from when they uh, assassinated Muammar Gaddafi. We are still trying to recover from uh, Robert, I'm sorry, Robert Mugabe. Not being in power no more in Zimbabwe, them, them brothers and sisters still struggling down there. But I would say over and over again, not just uh, catchphrases, um, to just say organize, organize. We really have to put in the work to study this stuff and join uh, Pan African Revolutionary Socialist Organization. We done voted for over, uh, we done voted years and years, and we done we done voted years and years. We done practiced petty bourgeois. But bourgeoisie ideology by trying to buy away uh, out of freedom or you know uh, own a business, local business, uh, black business, buy black. We gotta go further than that, man. That stuff is not really. It's not. It's not the answer. It's probably a, a, a tactic. It could. It could. It could get us some type of uh, some type of organization or what have you. But it's not going to eradicate the issue because when you vote, you're voting to. Uh, monsters of the same plan into power. I know you, you know you got one lesser evil of, of both, but it's not it's not it's not going to eradicate the system, this oppressive system system of capitalism that allows young girls to get raped. And we talking about let them stay pregnant. This is ridiculous. Thank you, Brother Marie. Carlos, you know, as we talk about what's going on in your world, in the community, I'd like to have your response on this current phenomenon. 
given the fact that there's a lot of economic hardship uh, in the U.S. and throughout the world as a result of capitalism and imperialism, they now have invoked a rule or policy when you go to get gas at a gas station. You have what you call a pre, a pre, um, what's the word for it? It's um, a pre, you have a pre, not a registration, but what you call these fees they take out, like when you rent a car, extra fees just in case if you don't come back or something happens. But anyway, they have a pre-approval fee of $175 that they will charge to your debit and credit card if you choose to get your own gas at the tank. And they determine when they can get your money back. What do y'all think of that type of policy? Many people are going in debt. They're getting up bank fees for overdraw. Their accounts are being tied up with their other money so they can't be used because of now these gas stations. They had a right to charge you a pre a pre approval fee just to use your credit debit card to pump gas. Brother Haki, who benefits for these kind of policies? Is this another act of a war against the people? Give me your take on that, Brother Haki. Is it an act of war? Uh, in a nutshell, yes, it is. It's an act of war. I think one of the things we have to appreciate in the context of capitalist society, he who has the money makes the rules. It's very, very simple. And so whereas you think that, you know, that the money is yours, what you don't understand is that once they take that car and apply that pre-charge fee, uh, you have no control whatsoever in terms of how that, how, those, how those monies are used. Uh, the bank is free to use that money to whatever, to whatever benefits is interest to the bank. Uh, so clearly, the, the the interest in terms of to the interest of, of the people, or this fundamental question of, of fairness or justice, uh, is a question that doesn't exist. And so I think this comes to the question that brother. So this raises the the the, the, the question that the brother Sabukwe alluded to, and that is in terms of you know in terms of the the, the fundamental you know uh, inequality, uh, the fundamental um, um, lack of justice. Uh, which is fundamental part of capitalism, and shows these kind of these kind of absurdities continue to exist time and time again. Uh, the mere fact that you take someone's money, uh, you know, and you can use businesses take people's money, they can use it for their benefits, speaks to the kind of powerlessness that people in, actually have in the society. If in fact, if we are powerless to control something that's fundamental in terms of our own economics. Then how? Then what does that mean in terms of our ability, in terms of the particip- to to actively participate in the system, to or attempt to redress wrongs that are committed by the system, and so forth and so on? The bottom line is you have very, 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 very little opportunity, ability in terms of actually, uh, uh, in a, in a nutshell, you have very, very, very little opportunity in terms of uh, expressions of of self determination or or, or 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 autonomy over one's life. And so this is the fundamental problem that we're confronted with in terms of, you know, how capitalism actually works. Uh, so when you take people's money, uh, you know, just as, as a pretext to get gas and then to be able to use their money uh, any way the bank sees fit, uh, it's not only criminal, uh, but the mere fact that, that it's, it's sanctioned by the state speaks to the powerlessness of the masses of people in the society. And if we don't understand uh, that powerlessness, 
the politics of the people, at least the perception of the powerlessness of the people, because it endures, I think, one thing you understand that so when we talk about something like, like fascism, uh, we talk about authoritarianism, we have to understand that these things are just inevitable in the context of a system which says that people essentially have no power unless you have large sums of capital. And then superposed upon that, you have a system which makes sure that people don't have large sums, access to large sums of capital. So fewer and fewer people have large sums to access to large sums of capital, which means their power proliferates exponentially, which means that they can do pretty much anything they want to do without any redress. And, of course, our political politicians are, are, part, are privy to that process. They benefit from that process uh, in terms of playing ball. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think it is it does constitute a war against the people, but the simple question that people begin to understand that this is a war, and if we don't understand that fundamentally, then we're ill-equipped to actually fight back in this war. Okay, Brother Haki, we're going to move forward. Let's talk to Brother Moses. What you make of this situation, Brother Moses? Is this an act of war against the people, Brother Moses? Certainly, certainly it's an act of war. I've continued, been warned on the poor for ever since this country was founded, I mean, as, as, as slaves, et cetera. Uh, so we've always been in a war, and this is just a continuation of that war. Um, it's a tyranny. It's a, it's a, it's a tyrannical um open tyranny of finance capital, basically. Um, finance capital being, being overpowering uh, the rights of the people. And, um, and, and you know, this, the banks, the bank and the banking system and all that has to be overhauled uh, if we're going to have a, a, a fair and just society. And so that's a, that's, that's a, Task of the revolution is to overhaul the banking system. Um, thank you, Brother Moses. And now we're gonna go to Sister Eleanor. Talk to us, Sister Eleanor. Where are you at on this issue? Yeah, it's a definite taking, Brother Africa, because as you said, it's on their credit cards or the debit cards. So the debit cards they're gonna hold. $175 of your cash, but how do we demonstrate that it's a holding and you're taking $175 off of someone's debit card? How are they going to prove that they didn't purchase gas? It's a taking, it's a robbery, and it's the way the super capitalists let the, you know, the petty bourgeoisie think they're a part of that big group. They think they're a part of the the super rich when they let them have power over uh, the working class. So it's it's diabolical and it is a taking. And in in, in law that means it's a a white collar theft. You know it's ridiculous. I, I mean it's, it's it's not even rational. But what's not, further not rational is that Supreme Court where Kavanaugh told the gay people their rights were safe. You know, I, I, he said that, but in his writing, and uh, he made that clear. But the reality of what they want to do to the environment and what they did the day before with gun laws, uh, you know, there's a real problem in this country where working class people, little petty bourgeoisie merchants, think they're the same as the Jeff Bezos and the Bill Gates. There's no similarity. They eat them like uh, uh, whales eat mentos, you know, little fish, 
but they don't know it. They just really think they're all the same because they got enough money to buy gas, and they don't have to depend on a debit or credit card. They can, But, you know, they're going to make cash king for sure. It's a taking, and it is a theft. Thank you. Okay, let's move on to Brother Maurice. You'll take Brother Maurice. Talk to us. Max, I'm sorry. Well, well, like the great Malcolm X, El Hodge, Felicia Bass stated, it's the same old old game going on all the time. As Brother Haki stated earlier, I have to totally agree with him. This is capitalism. It prays capitalism cannot function without exploitation of the masses of people. As you see this right here. They they they're going to put this. They're going to uh, allow this to happen at a time when gas prices is high. Gas price, everything is high. When you look at uh, our oppression, homelessness is high. They don't raise uh, the cost of living or rent in our apartments to twenty one hundred or two thousand one hundred dollars per month for a two bedroom apartment that used to cost or used to be. Uh, 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 I guess uh, amounted to twelve hundred, fourteen hundred a month. They don't double the price. Everything has has risen when you look at our oppression. Um, so along with everything is rising, police brutality. Another brother got uh, assassinated by the police in Akron. Uh, Africa is on fire. The fire is getting higher and higher. Latino, uh, I'm sorry, Latin America, South America is on fire. The Caribbean is on fire. Everywhere you look at around the world where you see the masses of people and the masses of the, of the working class and African people, our struggles are intensifying. So this is another thing. This is another win uh, for the capitalists, under, another notch under their belt to add to our oppression. So therefore, when you see this, it's, this, this our oppression intensifying, it's more than ever that we need to increase the struggle for pan-Africanism. The total liberation of Africa under a scientific socialist uh, system, and we state we say this every every week, which honestly means that as a black man, as a black woman, we cannot be free here on land that was stolen from the Native Americans. We are African uh, people, melanated people. So therefore, we need our country. We need to go reclaim our country back from capitalists. Is there's more? They, we got fourteen thousand non-government organizations, European, Western uh, NGOs, functioning alone in Uganda. That's alone. That's not even in Africa. That's only in, in Uganda. You got a thousand more organizations. I think it was three thousand in Kenya. You got three. You got you got three thousand NGOs in Tanzania, and you got ten thousand NGOs. In Kenya, that's only three countries in Africa. NGOs, Western uh, uh, non-government organizations, non-profits. Why are they functioning in Africa for? Why are they having more interest in Africa at this point than where our interests need to be? Our interests need to be on that level. We 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 need to uh, we we need to organize, man. We need to not only organize. We need to join a study group. If you have, if it's just you 
and another person with a book with a book that's going to put that's going to give us strategies and information that we need to learn to get our people to freedom and then you put that in action that's an organization please uh, uh join the all african the all african uh, 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 i'm sorry all african people revolutionary party gc uh the pan african revolutionary socialist party uh you got you got pan african revolutionary socialist party out here that's fighting on the behalf of the masses of people we we have to get active because we're talking about uh $175 being hold on our card hey man we're going to have bigger more battles that's going to intensify more than that you know, panelists, thank you, Brother Maurice. You know, panelists, I'm just wondering. I'll start off with you, Brother Haki. Um, we know the only thing that's constant is change. Change comes, in, comes into being. It goes out, comes in form to something else. But everything constantly changes. But anyway, when we talk about this concept of freedom, Brother Haki, why are we so shocked to not to understand the universe principle of if they can give you something, they can take it away. If they gave you your freedom, they mean that means they can take your freedom away from you. If they gave you the right to vote, that means they can take the right for you to vote. So why are we so upset when people give you things? To give you something, that means something that you don't control. Your response to that, Brother Haki, to that phenomenon. You're right. You're, you're, you're right, Brother Africa. Uh, your reason is, is, is very rudimentary, and uh, there's no question about that. That is the biggest struggle um, philosophically in, in the African community, trying to get people to understand that if they give you a right, then they can take it right away. The only way to be truly free is to fight and establish, establish, uh, uh, establish uh, your needs on your own terms. That's the only way you can truly be free. In that context, it takes some type of sacrifice in terms of truly being free. But I think the the, the the information among a lot of people is assembly, which of course is easier, is similar to rely on the, the good graces of the state in terms of providing them what they need. But as you alluded to, Brother Africa, any time they provide us what we need, then it's only temporary. So when we talk about voting rights, it's, it's very, very interesting. You know, so when you talk about every 20 years that there has to be some type of governmental action to justify us voting for additional 20 years, it says that you don't have fundamentally have a right to vote. Uh, if that be the case, if you don't fundamentally have a right to vote, then what are they saying in essence? They are saying that you're something less than a citizen. Well, if you're something less than a citizen, then one of the things you have to agree is that the treatment that they afford you is going to be less than that of a citizen. In that context, it seems to me that it's in, it, becomes in, it becomes extremely important uh, that people understand that given this reality, that you strive in terms of the create the you know, self-determination autonomy are uh, based upon your own efforts and not by the efforts of someone giving you something. And this is something that people have to understand. I think one of the fundamental problems, I think, people's position is that, in fact, that they're citizens of the United States. But, but when you go back and look at the, the, the social economic conditions of African people in America, and you ask yourself, despite the education level African people have achieved, or despite the, the willingness of people to practice patriotism, Despite their, their willingness in terms of making sacrifices for the good for the good of the society, when you look at all of these, when you look at all these elements, and despite these things being very prevalent in the African community, that the treatment of for the African people is less than less than less than spectacular, 
then you got to agree. You know, that even though you might consider yourself a citizen, obviously the system does not consider you a citizen. So if we can truly to be to become empowered, if we really want to 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 to, to ascribe to those kind of things that we think are important in terms of in terms of uh, uh, being all you can be, then one of the things we have to do, we have to create the conditions to make that possible. And certainly it has to start on some level in terms of protecting the emotional and psychological well-being of the children. Uh, we must, as a people, become conscious, conscientious in terms of what we do and why we do it. And we have to make sure we create those kind of conditions which are favorable to the, the favorable to enhancing the emotional uh, 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 emotional, uh, psychological, intellectual stability of our children. It's up to us to do that. It's not up to the state to do that. The state is not designed, nor is it interested in terms of creating African children who are well-rounded. So when we talk about competition in the context of capitalism, we understand that all these games that capitalism play is to negate or to prevent uh, your real co- uh, co- uh, competition when it comes to things like jobs. If we fundamentally understand that, then we understand we're at a disadvantage. And so, not only do we have to work harder academically in terms of, in, in terms of just being able to survive in society, but in, in working harder academically, we have options. We don't have to rely on the system per se. There are other places we can go throughout the world in terms of building, but we have to have that fundamental educational uh, foundation. So we have to start thinking differently in terms of you know what it is to be a citizen in society. You know, I, I think Malcolm X is absolutely correct. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you, because you you put a cat in the oven and you bake them doesn't make them a biscuit. Uh, because you were born here in America and you know doesn't make you a citizen. Uh, that is being a citizen is part and parcel in terms of how you're treated, uh, the opportunities that are available to you, uh, the kind of uh, uh, of uh, uh, the kind of uh, 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 fairness, uh, which is fundamentally a part you know of of, of any system uh, that seeks to embrace you know, uh, what is in the best interest of their people. So if we don't have a system that's not geared toward in creating a situation which is in the best interest of African people, then we have a situation where the where the, the actions of the state are, are, are kind of intuitive or not in the best interest of African people. And we have to fundamentally understand that reality. So until we understand that reality, we can continue to play, you play, but we should acquiesce to the system and thinking that somehow that they're going to save us, that they're going to be uh, be will be our saviors. In reality, we are our saviors. We should have to come to the realization that we are our saviors. And until we do that, decisions that uh, that we're confronted with at at most at most are tenuous. Brother Moses, talk to us. If they can give it to you, they can take it away. So why people are so upset? I, I agree. If they give it to you, they can take it away. But first of all, ain't nobody gave black people a damn thing. And uh, we struggle for voting rights, and we struggle to be citizens in this country. And that's that's the reality of self-determination up to including independence. And the fact that we live in a racist society is a real, real re- reality. And you can always point to racism because we haven't had a revolution. And until we do have a revolution, it's going to be that way. And so that's that's a moot point. And nobody's giving us a damn thing. And that's that's the basic narrative that you've got to understand, that we're struggling for our rights and we're struggling. We want all here and now, as Dr. Martin Luther King said. All our rights, we want them here and we want them now. We're not willing to do what the Ku Klux Klan wants us to do. Thank you. Brother Moses, 
All right. They didn't give it to us, so how are they going to take some from us that they didn't give? If you can answer that question, that'd be real helpful, Brother Moses. For our people that's not, they're not, nobody's going to take anything from us if we struggle. We, we struggle. This is nobody's giving anything. Nobody's taking anything. If you if you don't let them do it, if you let them do it, they're going to definitely they do anything they want to do. They brought us here in slavery. They're going to do what they're trying to do, but we have to have self-determination. We have to have our own ideas about what freedom is and what, who we are and where we are and what we need to do. And, and if you you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Thank you. That's right. That's right. You heard Brother Moses. He in the seat. He's going to take the heat because as you define it, Brother Moses is going to stand behind me. Let's see what Sister Eleanor is going to bring to the table. Talk to us, Sister Eleanor. Exactly. Brother Moses hit it on the head, brother. Nobody gave us the vote. Nobody gave us citizenship. The reason these immigrants have citizenship is we fought and went to Congress to get a constitutional amendment passed to have our children after we fought a revolution called the Civil War for our freedom to be able to be free and then our children were not citizens. We fought and people died in the streets so we could have the right to vote. We fought for everything we got. And as Brother Maurice spoke about the fascist Bolsonaro, Brazil is the second largest Afrocentric country on planet Earth after Nigeria. So as Pan-Africanists, we got to stand up and pay attention to the global economy, but we damn sure better stand up and realize that children in the United States between 10 and 14 are dying having babies, and black women are eight times more likely to die have females in the United States. African Americans are eight times more likely to die than anyone else in this country. So no one's given us anything but freedom is never free. So what are rewards of our parents and our ancestors? We have to fight for every day. And we have to know there are some things that are strategical reforms, but this is a fight. This is a struggle for revolution. So no one gave African Americans the right to vote. And like I just said, the biggest thing coming up is not because the liberal judges and Clarence Thomas wrote about a 2015 decision on gay marriage. Those things aren't up right now. What's up coming up, and the court has already said it, is namely affirmative action, election laws, and business regulation. In addition to that, they attack the environment. We're concerned with global warming. They're saying the hell with planet Earth. The hell with everyone, because I don't know where the, 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 the top 20% or 1% think they're going to live, but they don't give a damn. We're fighting a war against the few for the masses. The few are wealthy, but that don't make them intelligent. That doesn't make them wise. That doesn't make them anything but comfortable and rich. Once you wake up and realize that, you get a clearer perspective we don't know where the hell genius comes from, but we know one thing, as long as you ain't educating the children, you don't have to worry too much. 
and we live in a surplus labor economy. And they've targeted blacks since the 19th century with the pig laws and the chicken laws because after slavery, they couldn't get nobody to pick the crop. So they decided that if I said that uh, you owe me $175 on your credit card or in those days, you owe me $50, well, I can put you in slave, but they didn't call it that, and decide that you work for me and how much I was going to pay you and what kind of work you did and who you worked for. So long after slavery, African Americans were enslaved and re-enslaved. And by the 20th century, no one said it more elegantly than Langston Hughes in September 1929 in his magazine, a poem written by an anonymous person. They first that you divide the tall from the short, the dark from the light, the city from the country. And they talked about how they could eliminate, the poem talks about how you could eliminate lynching by simply dividing the African diaspora against itself. So let's stand up and know. Brazil is the second largest Afrocentric country on earth. So we're talking about a black nation and children having children. Bolsonaro is an authoritarian like Donald Trump. They're friends. He was being brought up to the world court for his handling of the virus and letting 600,000 Brazilians die. He didn't care because they're black people and they're poor. So he didn't care if they had no way of getting any relief. They had no vaccines. So we got to educate ourselves. We got to be informed. We got to pay attention to the world economy. But we got to, as I say, have to pay attention to where you're standing and take action. That's what every revolutionary has to do. And the trend, what tends to involve other topics coming up with this Supreme Court, I'm telling you, is affirmative action. And the reason that is, is that affirmative action deals with race. And the two cases coming up are with North Carolina and Harvard. Even when you put this, these, this, this affirmative action up uh, for voters to vote, you know, blacks don't vote. They think it doesn't matter. And in California, they overturned affirmative action, and that's a damn liberal state. You know why? Because it deals with race. It, affirmative action has typically been practiced in the U, U.S., and it tends to be unpopular because it deals explicitly with racism and racial inequity. And that remains the defining problems. Ignoring race in admission or hiring decisions is fundamentally unfair. We've assimilated everyone who comes to this country except for the descendants of slaves. Yet affirmative action, at least as it has been typically been practiced in the U.S., tends, as I said, to be unpopular when the, uh, when the policy appears on the ballot. I just said it in a state referendum. It usually loses, as it did in California. When it appears on polls, it loses. And it's unpopular with new Americans, such as Asians and even Latinos, often. This is, un this is just statistically true. One problem, be, and like I said, one problem may be the traditional affirmative action has put 
nearly all of this face focus on race with little to no weight on economic class. That approach has probably hurt the policy itself, you know, and that um, poor whites, Asians, and even Latinos, you know, it, they don't see the importance of it. It's a ten. It's a thin public. It's a very thin publicly supported policy in terms of with, with, with that makes it so you know easy for the conservative justice to ban a policy they have long opposed, and I think it's a real danger. Mm. The way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race, but it ain't happening in America. We got new Americans coming here, and they they as racist as the rest of them. So it's a class issue, but it's unfortunate that the people are divided by things like race, and they think that when they see us African Americans being mowed down, that there's a reason. We heard the sister when her son was mowed down because he was a black man say everything, but he's not one of them. But we know that he is one of us. You know, he was a 26-year-old immigrant who came here at 18, and the police shot him in the back of the head, his mama said, but he wasn't one of them. Thank you. All right, Sister Noah, we hear you. Can we make the transition to this last point before we do go to our commercial break? and deal with that theme, I'd like to ask each panelist to respond to this particular question. You know, uh, Brother Robert Subukwe um, once stated that one of the greatest tools that the white man has over African is the mind, control of his mind. Exactly. Given the reality, given the reality that so-called weekend tomorrow will be so-called celebrate as the 4th of July Day, and I say the 4th of July A-I-E Day, should Africans celebrate that so-called holiday? What should that holiday mean to us, Brother Haki? Can you hear me, Brother Haki? While we wait for Brother Hackett, yes, can, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Now, before I, before I address that question, Brother Africa, it's, it's important that we just spare some misconceptions because I think that one of the things that uh, nobody nobody on this line advocated uh, that African people have to struggle for all the rights that we have. That's the first point. Uh, so this point that nobody ever gave us anything, this is the point. The point is that when we talk about in terms of the context of civil rights, those rights come from someone. That entity is the government. Let's stop playing around and be honest about it. It comes from the government. Because these civil rights come from the government, they determine the parameters in terms of those rights. What we're saying is that those rights do not go far enough in terms of truly being, making it possible for us to self-actualize or to, to create, to create uh, self de- self-determination in our communities. What we're saying is it depends upon us in terms of getting to that milestone. We have to do that. No government is going to do that. No government is going to do that. And, and until we do that, see, it's a simple question. It's a very simple question. We have to fight more intelligently. It's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. 
if you tell me systematically for over the last couple hundred years we've been fighting all right, to, to enjoy the basic civil rights uh, that um, most, most, most quote-unquote Americans take for granted, if in fact you tell me we've been fighting for the last 20 years and we have still not been able to achieve the milestones that we sought, then it's time to do something different. It's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. It doesn't negate the struggles of African people because those struggles will continue. Uh, even though we are only allowed to, under the, the Voters' Rights Act, we are only allowed to, to vote every 20 years, the struggle in terms of voting participation will continue, and that's fine. But I'm saying, but if we want to reach the milestone that, 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 that we envision for ourselves, then it should come upon us. And I, I certainly hope this is very, very clear, because what I've been hearing, people told totally skirt the issue, and people are saying things that are, which, which haven't been raised. No one said, no one refute the African struggle in society. And on the contrary, we always elevate African struggle in the society. So for people to misinterpret what's been saying, I think uh, I, I, that doesn't sit well with me. So that's why I had to. That's why I had to respond to that because what because what's been saying is in the, the, the direct opposition to what historical position we've always taken in terms of Africa on the move in terms of self determination for African people. So let's be very very clear on that point. No one's negating the struggle of African people in society. Let only me, a fool would negate. Only a fool would negate the struggle of African people in society. Let me, let me, let okay, me to your question, brother. To your question, Brother Africa. Brother, to your Brother Aki, let me interject one second, then you can continue your point. Just to add to your point, it's interesting that if every 20 years a law has to be passed to allow you to vote, then the essence of its practice, it is stating that you are not American because we are the only ones that operate under their premise. But that, but that is precisely the point, Brother Africa. That is precisely the point. So when I say we have to, we have to think differently. We have to political stri- politically uh, strive differently. It's, a re- it's, it's, it's in recognition, in recognition of the fact that these civil rights that they handed us are not where we where we want to be. And in understanding that, it's incumbent upon us to create to create those kind of conditions in our community, which is going to empower us. It's a very, very simple prop. It's a very, very simple proposition. When we talk about every twenty years, they're actually giving us the right to vote. They're saying you are you you're, you're conditional. They're saying you're a conditional citizen. You're not a full citizen. Your your, your citizenship is conditional. If your citizenship is conditional, then what they're saying to you, you're not a citizen. It's very, very simple. It's, it's not it's, it's not calculus. It's very, very simple. It's very, very clear what they're saying to you. If we choose for whatever reason. To, to dismiss what they're saying to us and continue to persist in these uh, reformist politics, uh, then we do, we do ourselves a disservice. And this is important that we understand this. And that is the only point that I'm raising. So the struggle of African people will continue. Nobody can sit down and lay down and give up. You know, the struggle will continue. But we have to be much more, much more, uh, uh, um, uh, we have to be much more scholarly in terms of our struggles in the society. Because the time that we spent trying to be part of the system is, 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 is energy we could, we could use in terms of creating conditions in society specifically to protect the, 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 the psychological functioning and emotional well-being of our children. And it's very, very simple, and that's all I'm saying. So nobody negating the African struggle. So let's be clear. So when people say that or allude to that, 
I, I don't want anybody to think one second that we don't support self-determination for African people. But when you say things like nobody, when you say like nobody ever gave us anything, we understand nobody ever gave us anything. The point was, the point was never to say that nobody that, that we didn't that, that 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 we didn't fight for what little rights that we have in society. We all understand that. So I just want to make that point because it's clear. Every twenty years, if in fact that you, you, they they got to vote to help give, help you the right to vote, then what does that say? So why are you don't spend your time in terms around voting's rights? You know, it's fine to do that. But understand that there are limitations in terms of the impact it's going to have. The impact will be much more conclusive if, in fact, we take that same energy in terms of rebuilding out, in terms of doing what we have to do in our community, in terms of institutions to, to save our children or to save ourselves. And that's what I'm saying. So, and, and we're going to we're going to the point, Brother Africa, about Robert Zabukwe. You're right. Let me raise interject one more point to the discussion, then you can continue. It made me think about during Katrina time when George Bush II was in power and how they viewed Africans. They went on live TV throughout the world. And what was the word they used to classify Africans in the area? They didn't say nothing about the American citizens. They said we were what? Yeah, not immigrants. They call us something else. They call us um, <laughs> to the equivalent of immigrants. In other words, they were saying that we're exactly. not citizens. Yeah, exactly. I forgot the exact term that he used. It was the equivalent of yeah, immigrants. I'm trying to think of the word, too. I'm trying to think of the word, I, I too. I can't think of the term that they used. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and nobody, and, and, and everybody won't pretend like they forgot about that. Refugees. You, you see what I'm he saying? That's, that's how we function. Because when he says stuff like that, you call actually refugees. Yeah, refugees. <laughs> they're refugees. They're, they're not citizens. No, no matter what happens, they're just refugees. You know, we're, eventually we get around to helping them, but they're refugees. They're not a priority. And it seems to me at that point, God, you know, it seems to me, damn, every African person in this goddamn country should have said, damn, is that what they think? We got to work. We got to pull up. We got to get to We got work to be done. Most people just totally dismissed it. Totally dismissed it. But Why? Because for them, it's more important to be a part of this. I'm not going to be a – why would I want to be a part of something that systematically uh, is designed, you know, to, 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 to negate my existence? Why would I want to be a part of something like that? I'm in America. I was born here. My ancestors come from here. But I understand quite well that these people don't recognize me as an American citizen. Even I, I understand going to interviews and sitting and talking to people and understanding more about systems than these people are interviewing me. You know, I understand that even in that context, I have to dumb myself down because if I come across as too intelligent, I become I'm viewed as an arrogant in inward. So it's, it's you know so so you know so you know uh, you know but this is this is the reality though this is the reality, and so you're right and so all of these all of these points to the fact that we understand the nature of struggle in the society of African people. Nothing is no nothing has been given to us. Struggle will continue. But if your position is that for all the struggle that we engaged in, the best we can do is get some amendment which says that we can we we can be certified to vote every twenty years, then what the hell is the benefit to that if you stop and think about it? Seriously, what is the benefit to that? Why why can't you the same energy in terms of doing what you're doing in terms of community, in terms of achieving the kind of results of the kind of self determination that we that we seek? It seems that I don't know it's, I, you know, so that's all I'm saying, Brother Africa. That's that's all I'm saying. So I just wanted to, I don't want to believe that point, but I just wanted to bring it up because you know the whole thing is that you know nobody on Africa on the move ever 
advocated that African people don't struggle. We've always struggled. We always had to struggle, and we will continue to struggle. But I'm saying we can we can always struggle in a much more scientific and much more scholarly kind of way. But we have to first and foremost understand the nature of the beast in terms of how it operates. We can't delude ourselves into believing that in fact that that uh, you know in the context of civil civil rights that those rights come from somewhere. It comes from the government. Those civil rights come from the government. That's why they're civil rights. They're not human rights. They're civil rights. They come from the government. They come from the state. And so we got to be clear. So to the extent that the state is concerned about our civil liberties, it's very, very minimal. So they really don't give a damn about our civil rights. And they do that. And they let us know that across the board. Why is it, that, why is it 200 years later, most of us still can't figure out the, uh, uh, the, the, the very um, dismal circumstances we find ourselves confronted with in society and our refusal to do for ourselves what needs to be done. And I'm not, and, I'm, and it's not to advocate, it's, it's not to, it's not to pick up on a point, uh, uh, um, you know that, uh, you know that, that, that the brother, the brother, uh, the brother, the, 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 the nation advocates. And I do agree that you, you have to do for self. But aside from that, I understand, you know, um, you know that um, do for self doesn't limit you in terms of you, in terms of your strategies, in terms of bringing about change in society. And so my position is that, irrespective of the strategy you employ. It allows us to get to us where we need to go, and, and that's, that's my point. But then the question in terms of Robert the Bukwe, in terms of the, the human mind, the, the, the thing that holds us down is, is in terms of, you know, uh, the, uh, you know uh, the control of our minds, is very, very, is very, very true. It's very, very true. Fundamentally, it goes back, and I'm not going to label this point because I, I made this point over and over again, but the point is that, you know, unless we think differently, Unless we re- fundamentally reject a value system which says that our essence uh, uh, is determined upon other individuals, until we have a more f- intuitive, fundamental sense in terms of who we are as a people, then the problem is that we tend we we, we tend to embrace those values of the, of, the, of the system, even though those value systems are detrimental, destructive to the aspirations of our people. So I think so. I think uh, Robert, I think Sabuque was absolutely correct. Until we deal with that question in terms of how we think, our mindset, and reject these fundamental values, which elevates materialism over, over the human being, uh, which elevates uh, status you know, over substance, until we reject these values, then we continue to acquiesce in our own oppression, and that is unfortunate. And, Nate, uh, what does it mean to celebrate this 4th of July Day? What is your position on that? Should we participate in it? What's, what's the point? Of, what's the point of participating in it? I mean, what, what is the point? I mean, I, I I don't see a point in terms of participating in it. Uh, there's something about the Fourth of July that's uniquely uh, empowering for African people. There's something in the Fourth of July that's uniquely empowering for anybody other than the wealthy. <laughs> that's the cold. That's the hardcore truth. So I, I, I so I don't fundamentally see why people would support the Fourth of July somehow. That is sometimes a great milestone in the in the uh, evolution of African people, you know, in the context of American society. I just don't see it, Brother Africa, and I'll close with that. Thank you. Brother Marie, you heard the discussion. Brother Robert Bube said he said the greatest tool they have over Africans to have their mind. Now understanding the statement and understanding so called tomorrow's will be the fourth of July day. Should any African participate in it? Uh, first of all, I just want to, um, in regards to being called Brother Shibuwe, 
I, 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 I cannot sit right here and not address, you know, address that. That's, that's he, Robert Bukwe is a, a great, great hero of African people, um, great freedom fighter. And I just want to thank Brother Haki for his comments uh, last week. Um, I had got I had got disconnected off the show, um, the comments that he stated uh, and, and to, towards me. But um, just want to make uh, notification uh, awareness of that. Oh, he was just As trying to be nice to you, man. Don't take it for no comment. He was just trying <laughs> to be nice to you. Well, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, but yes. Uh, as for the, uh, if I understand you correctly, um, understand the. The quote by Robert Sabutwe, yes, uh, that, that that is the greatest weapon. This propaganda, this this the television, as Dr. Khalid Muhammad stated, is a weapon. We need to take it and throw it in the trash. I think the brother, uh, Dr. Khalid Muhammad, was on to something when he made that statement in the 90s. Regardless how you feel about him, I think he was he was exactly right. It's, uh, uh, you know, and and this was you know he made that statement prior to social media. <laughs> Prior to the Facebooks and the MySpaces and the and the Snapchats and all of that that good stuff, but uh, as of right now, you know, as for in regards to to the you lie for, uh, most of us is off, don't have to work, so I want to give us some homework before you light up your your hot dogs on your grill, before you light up your fireworks, please do me one thing if you going if you can't do anything else, I urge uh people listeners on this call to listen to an underrated speech and it was a phenomenal speech by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. titled The Birth of a New Nation and I'm just going to conclude simply with this quote he stated freedom is never given to anybody if we wait for it to work itself out it will never be worked out freedom only comes through persistent struggle against capitalism we got to keep on keeping on, end quote, from the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., from his speech, The Birth of a New Nation. Please, please, YouTube or research that speech and listen, because I, I feel like in that speech, uh, you, will, you will receive um, the inspiration, the motivation, like he stated, to keep on keeping on to keep this persistent struggle against capitalism. Um, and I and uh, I would conclude with that. And to add to yourself, add to your point, Brother Sabukwe, is Frederick Douglass, he wrote a statement in response to why should we celebrate the 4th of July. People should take some time and we look at that that statement that he made. That is very empowering. But we thank you, my brother. Let's go to South Illinois. South Illinois, are you in the seat? I know you can take this seat because when you define it, so, so you can understand behind it. Talk to us. What should we take since I know this one about the Sabuku position? First of all, the first, yeah, first of all, I want to thank the brothers because clearly everyone on this show is uh, definitely, we, 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 no one thinks that we are supporting the hard struggles of African Americans and how our great struggle struggle has allowed for the advancement of immigrants and other persons in this country. And uh, the reality is Chris Chris Addicts, an African, lost his life, the very first person during the Revolutionary War. So we've been fighting on arrival. We've had to build a place. We had to do so much. They brought us here for a job. 
the problem is getting paid. But you know, Brother Africa, just to to add to you know what I was saying earlier, that in 2003, uh, ruling upholding affirmative action, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, uh, a more moderate Republican, appointed by I think one of the Bushes, suggested that the policy affirmative action may no longer be necessary in 25 years. She thought that it could be scrapped beginning in 2003. Now, the current court's majority and its ambition would be only five years ahead of her. Now, what's interesting is that the same justice during that time, and I quote Justice Roberts once wrote, the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race, end quote. Now, the problem in America, as I said, this court is getting ready to deal with it. They already dealt with the EPA this this week, last week, saying that the EPA couldn't be hearing cases or making decisions that Congress, quote, didn't give the authority to do so. Now, the next thing they're planning on hearing is on Clean Water Act. Well, you know, Flint, Michigan, a predominantly black city, over 100 people died of cancer because to save money, they took Flint out of the Detroit water system and had them using the local river full of pollution, people dying of cancer, all kinds of stuff, and suffering. And last week, you know, the the the, the second time, the governor, the district, everybody, you know, their cases were dismissed. So what really needs to happen is we as Africans got to educate and help other communities educate themselves. As Brother Maurice said, we have to educate ourselves, but others have to also be educated. But because the working class is divided, but us Africans are divided. Us African Americans are divided. Uh, you know, so we we got to focus and focus on the working class. You know, the reason, as I said, affirmative action is um, has been so typically the way it's typically been practiced in the United States tends to be unpopular when the policy appears on the state referendums like California or anywhere else is because it focuses explicitly on African people. And it does not focus um, very narrowly. It, affirmative action has been put narrowly. Um, one problem may be that affirmative action has put narrowly all of its focus on race with little or no weight on economic class. But that was for a reason, because we're disenfranchised. So that approach has probably hurt the policy and the support among many people. Like I said, whites, to repeat myself, I don't mean to be redundant, whites, Asians, and even Latinos, um, is it's then reason for us then uh, popular support in turn you know what would make it easy? That would make it easy for these conservative judges to ban a policy they have long opposed. And uh, you know, Robert saying uh, the way to stop discrimination based on race is to stop racism. You know, uh, to stop the discrimination on the basis of race. 
that's not happening in America. It's 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 more you know we're under more pressure and they're just mowing us down. The police are like a military force, and and the enemy is African Americans. If there's any chance the court will stop short of overturning affirmative action, the only way that would be is if corporate leaders and military leaders that generally support the policy, if they would plausibly sway the justices. Now, that's ridiculous, that they're not swayed by the people. They're swayed by corporation executives and military leaders. So that's what we do talk about on this show all the time. Is taking that power away from the few and giving it to the masses. But most court, you know, it's just, you know, I, I, I can't tell you about Fourth of July. At least you have the we have the workers. We got the day off, and for the workers that work in larger companies, they get double time or something. But the reality, we were the first to die on the front line, and I'm telling you, uh, you know, I, I love uh, black history. I love African people. I love, you know, I love the diaspora. I love history. I I just love these things. And so, you know, we we all got to put on our Chris, Chris Addicts, Christopher Addicts shirt. Because most people, have, I told a guy today, who told me happy 4th of July, I said, yeah, you know, Chris Addicts was the first to die. He lives on the sixth floor of my building. He said, really? Who was he? I said, a, 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 a black man, an African. He said, oh, 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 I have to look that up. So, I mean, you know, our history isn't known. You know, we came here for a job, and our job was to build this nation. And we started and we fought for the independence as did um, you know, the indigenous people were told that, you know, if they fought, they would have new freedoms. The French told them if they fought, they would be free. I mean, we all of the, the indigenous people, the Afri- everybody lying to us. So Brother Africa said it so well. They control our minds, and as long as they control in our minds, like Langston Hughes said in Like it was stated on September 1929 in the Langston Hughes magazine by an anonymous writer who wrote the poem, The Willie Lynch Story, you divide the people and you control them. You don't need to lynch them because they'll hate themselves and they'll take care of it all for you. So the struggle is, is for us to organize but to educate ourselves, to educate our children. You know, like Castro, Alejandro Castro considered himself in Cuba an Afrocentric nation. Don't be confused about that. Brazil is the second largest nation on earth by numbers, and Nigeria is the largest. So we got to really recognize who we are, what we are. I I remember kindergartners learning a song. Who are you? What are you? And they would say, I'm an African. I'm an African. I'm an African-American. They learned that at five and six years old. So we really got to wake up and begin, whether it's writing books that children can read, telling them our history. And that's why these people are so against this race theory, because they don't want the American people and the new Americans, the immigrants that make this their home, where they have voting rights forever, to know 
who built the place and under what conditions it was built. And they're telling you America's for everybody, but we're still looking for a home after 400 years. So, you know, Independence Day, what what is it? It's just that the country has independence from Great Britain. I don't think they could even hold on to a colony. They went so broke in the 1880s. You know, but one good thing happened this week, Brother Africa. It's the Benin images, that uh, sculptures that are held in Germany. 900 of them will be returned to Benin people. But the Benin people don't rule the Benin Empire. It's now a part of Nigeria. And they don't want it back right now because the neo-colonialists will steal it and sell it. That's what they said. They want it to be have museums built with proper conditions and proper authority to see that they do not fall in private hands. As they said, so many funds that come from the West and resources that come from the West, you know, the cream gets taken before the milk, the cream and butter is taken before the milk ever reaches the people, if the milk reaches at all. So, you know, this biggest fight on planet Earth is capitalism and imperialism. But right now, authoritarianism is something that it doesn't matter whether you're a socialist or a Marxist or a capitalist. Authoritarianism, we saw it on planet Earth from 1933 to 1945. Hitler knocked out the Socialist Party, you know, uh, Mussolini and Franco, well, let's face it, and that's when you make rules and make laws and march people off the death camps. So we need to stand up and, you know, deal with these reforms that we have, you know, work with groups like environmentalists to let them know that as African people, as indigenous people are the leaders of this world environmental movement right now to save planet Earth, that we are also the world's first environmentalists, and we stand in solidarity with Mother Earth. If we destroy our home and our waterways and our air, what will we do? We st- I stand in solidarity on the 4th of July with the people of Flint, Michigan. Let them have clean water. They don't need to ship their water in by bottles anymore. One woman in Washington, D.C., Stand solid with them like a rock. So we got to educate ourselves and join organizations. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. What I would like to say in terms of your dissertation just now is that the school that I would run, and when I speak to my children, they will learn that they are African. They are African, but never going to be American. So that's the school of confusion that pushes that. That's the enemy count. So we got to um, fight against that. But anyway, let's move forward. We're going to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, you've been hearing the heat, you're hearing the smoke. Come and talk to us. What you got for us, Brother Moses? What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, we we live in America, and we were brought here as slaves. And this is just the system has not, has, has been a, a work in progress um, um, in terms of our freedom and a struggle for self-determination and independence. And um, so we have to recognize that 
that the the system changes as we struggle to make it change. There's no government that's just this permanent government. Government is made up of people, and people can change, and people have changed. That's why Barack Obama was able to become president. Some people thought that was impossible. Um, you know, people keep talking about nothing's changed, but things have changed. And, uh, you know, there hasn't been a revolution, of course, but that's that's it's a struggle. It's a struggle, and it continues to be progressing, and it's progressing, and it continues to progress. And it's only continu- continued struggle is, is the source of the progressing. And um, the objectives, that's, we, we're united around scientific socialism, uh, but our objectives in terms of what, I, when I say all here and now, I mean all here and now. And uh, obviously there, there's, there's a trend that wants to go back to Africa and, and uh, give up on, on, they don't want anything to do with this country. Uh, and I understand that. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm for self-determination. And so, you know, but the struggle, but the struggle for the vast masses of the people is not going anywhere. I know that. <laughs> and so, you know, um, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. This is Africa on the move. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a rubber culture break, followed by our theme tonight. How the elite rules the world. When we come back, we will have our political panelists and analysts respond to this question of how the elite rules the world. If I got Brother Anthony on the board, Brother Anthony, if you hear my voice, can you please hit one? Brother Anthony, if you hear my voice, please hit one. Until then, what we're going to do is, before we leave, we're going to bring Brother Anthony back in. His phone line is working now. Brother Anthony, You've been listening to some of this discussion. We'll just give you a few minutes to share some of your thoughts and some of the things that you have heard so far. Brother Anthony, welcome back to Africa on the Move. Thank you for having me, Brother Africa. Uh, uh, I, I, uh, I concur with, some, uh, with, uh, with several of the points that have been made so far. I think uh, one aspect that has been missing is that in terms of why the uh why Africans don't understand we we're at war is because our education is controlled by our, our enemies the bourgeoisie and uh they control the way we think through the uh, through the educational system and the media, that's why uh, you know a lot of Africans in the U.S. think uh, you know we're a part of the system. We're not, and uh, there's a lot of confusion, and we have to clarify that confusion by taking control of the education of our people. We have to teach ourselves the truth that uh, we, that everything, that every reform that we've earned in this country and uh, and for that matter Brazil 
it has been the result of the struggles of our ancestors and the masses of our people. Uh, no one has handed us any uh, anything. Uh, you know, we've had to shed our blood for reform, as Kwame Ture used to point out. And, uh, you know, we, we have made progress. But uh, the question is whether that progress has been adequate or not. That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. And we have to say that in terms of uh, having uh, the rights of all other human beings, uh, let's see, uh, we fall short in that regard. And uh, and uh, no one has to look any further than the violence that's being perpetrated against us on a daily basis. But but because of the confusion spread by the bourgeoisie, we're confused on this uh, on on this issue. There's a lot of confusion, and that is why there are going to be millions of Africans that celebrate the Fourth of July tomorrow, uh, uh, like they uh, you, you know the European counterparts. Uh, this is a settler colony. Uh, uh, the largest settler colony in the world. But uh, again, because of the conf confusion that's spread by enemies, most of us don't realize that. And that's something we have to understand and uh, we have to organize in order to take control of our educational system. That's all I have to add. On that note, Brother Andrew, we thank you. We're going to this revolutionary break, followed by a clipping on how the elite rule the world. And when we come back, we will respond to this clipping on how the elite rule the world. This is Africa on the Move. We have decided to change the theme tonight, and next week we will address a critical issue of U.S. crimes against humanity. So we can continue to go forward, I went back with another, and let's go into, into our revolutionary culture break, followed by how the elite rules the world. Then we'll come back with our response from our political panelists and analysts. This is Africa on the Moon.
that's some easy making no fight oh hey, you go forget your sorrow Makachupu you go buy and pay for your motto oh hey, hey, this one na sara sara the beat is tana tana you go make you manya manya you make this is manya manya this is for people with talaka today about students beginning their careers. We've talked about correspondents ending their careers. We've talked about the names A.J. Liebling and I.F. Stone have come up. Uh, one of the things I most admire about the profession is it has allowed some people to say what they mean and to uh, stand by it, to live by it. Uh, Louis Lapham, uh, editor of Harper's, uh, was described yesterday's <clears throat> New York Observer as America's favorite grouchy magazine editor. I don't, I don't think of him that way. I think of him as an iconoclast. I think of him as a trenchant observer. Someone who says exactly what, he's, what he means and says it extremely well, and someone who provokes me uh, and sometimes elucidates, sometimes provokes. But I think that's the very best tradition of uh, American journalism. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Lewis Lapham. Well, I'm uh, delighted to be here. I see many friends in the room, and I'm sorry I didn't get the piece out of Mr. Frank, the, uh, but uh, I, was, I thought I was going to come and talk to a very small lunch and tell old stories about the days when I was a foreign correspondent and so forth, but Bill persuaded me to talk about the uh, new American ruling class, which is a subject to which I, and how does journalism fit into the new order. So I'm not a Marxist and I'm not a revolutionary. I'm sometimes, I'm not even a grouch, but the, <laughs> I know that the, the word class arouses suspicion and uneasiness in an American audience and I have no objection to a ruling class. No country can exist without a ruling class. That was true in uh, Rome in the first century, that was true in the United States in 1787, that was true in Britain at the zenith of empire, and it's true now. 
So the only question in my mind is what kind of a ruling class, uh, what, what's, the what's its nature, what, what, what's the character, and what's its worth made to what specifications, and with what uh, passions or objectives in mind. And it, it seems to me that the American uh, ruling class or governing class or possessing class, whatever you want to call it, my favorite term for it is equestrian class because that is an old Roman term. The rank was for sale for 400,000 sesterces in, in Rome in the first century AD. And the, and, and the governing class in America, is, is rank, it's a rank that is for sale. That's also always been true in the United States. But something has happened to that class over the last 50 years. I think. I think it is no longer a specifically American class. I, I think it's lost its interest in politics, and I don't think it has much use uh, for an intelligent press. And you will now will ask me, who are we talking about? And the figures vary, and numbers of other writers have written on this subject. I Bill Greider's written about it, Kevin Phillips, Christopher Lash, Michael Lind. Essentially, what we're talking about is that one or two percent of the American population that owns 90 percent of the nation's wealth and 75 percent of its capital assets. It's an oligarchy. Uh, it's not a large percentage, but it's a fairly large absolute number. I mean, maybe we're talking about two million people, perhaps. Uh, essentially, these are the people who write the laws, who write the news, who run the schools, direct the corporations, uh, own the media, own, and own the banks. Uh, the rich and the servants of the rich. Lind, Michael Lind, in his book that he published last uh, summer called The American Nation, uh, refers to what he calls the Donor Party. The Donor Party is the group of no more than 200,000 people in the United States who give political campaign gifts in excess of $5,000. To become a candidate, you must be first elected by the donor party. That is the beginning and end of the American democracy. It's 200,000 people. Because if you don't have money, you, you don't, unless you're Steve Forbes or Perot, you have no, you, you don't even appear on television. The another way of describing the the uh, the oligarchy or the equestrian class would be to just think of the shoppers on Madison Avenue or Rodeo Drive or the residents of the zip code section in New York, uh, in New York, New York 10021, which is this narrow golden rectangle in the city of Manhattan where the annual income is something like $2 billion a year income within that one zip code section. Another way to think of it would be the way that the public broadcasting network thinks of it, which is um, I did a book show on television for a couple of years for PBS, and there the, the, the PBS number, which is like the Harper's number, for the total universe of Americans that, is, that makes the market for 
the trade list of the New York Times, books uh, for magazines like Harper's and New Yorker, Foreign Affairs, for the uh, documentaries that appear on PBS, for most of the leading policy journals and so forth. We're talking about no more than two million people, if that many. That's the whole universe. Now, the people that uh, essentially live within that universe, um, run the schools, own the banks, write the laws, and so forth, um, it's the view from the box seats. And the first thing that's changed in the last 50 years is the sense of responsibility. I believe, maybe I'm a romantic, but I do believe that 50 years ago, this class felt some degree of responsibility toward the lower orders. There was a sense that privilege entailed obligation. There was, the attitude was derived in part from the attitude of the British ruling class, the late part of the 19th century, from whom we, the Americans, picked up the white man's burden in the direction of Rudyard Kipling, who wrote that poem, as a matter of fact, as a campaign speech for Teddy Roosevelt. But <clears throat> that attitude is also confirmed by the American victories in World War II. And I, I happen to have been thinking a great deal about this subject lately because I am writing a book about the social and intellectual history of Yale University over the second half of the American century. You get 1950 to the year 2000. The American century, as you know, is a phrase coined by Henry Luce, Yale, 1919, uh, former chairman of the Yale Daily News and so forth. And the whole sense of American empire, American primacy, American supremacy, American obligation is very much in place it, at Yale in the 1950s, which is when I was there as an undergraduate. And several of the professors in both the English department and the history department were recruiters for the CIA. The sense that the, of a, uh, a noble mission of bringing the uh, light to a darkened world, uh, the career was very much part of the milieu. And Yale then, as Yale now, is in the business of making the American equestrian class. That is why one pays $26,000, $27,000 a year to send a child to either Yale, Harvard, Princeton, or the other universities that do this sort of thing. Um, the people at, at, uh, in the 50s identified themselves with an, inner, with an American commonwealth. There was um, an American ideal. There was an American idea. There was a sense of obligation. I don't think that the current um, kids, the, the ones that I know at New Haven, <coughs> or the, our current uh, oligarchy has the same feeling at all. I think that the members of the American equestrian class today incline to think of themselves as uh, align themselves with an international economic order rather than an American commonwealth. 
there's very little patriotism in, in this among the people that I'm talking about. They have more in common with their peers, uh, their economic peers, in England, Japan, or Germany than they do with their with a run-of-the-mill Americans in Omaha or Sioux City. And it, you see it in the character of somebody like Richard Nixon, who was very much at home with the Shah of Iran or Ferdinand Marcos or Noriega, people of that. Those are the kind of people that he liked, could talk to, understood, uh, deep fear and hatred of the ordinary American citizen. Um, Corporations, the American corporations today receive much, if not most, of their income from abroad. Coca-Cola now lo no longer has a domestic division. Uh, it's a world company, and the, uh, so they're not thinking in terms of, the, uh, of an American nationalist uh, economics. A lot of as you, this is also obviously true of the movie industry. Uh, which, without foreign sales, uh, cannot afford to pay the kinds of salaries they now pay. It's also true of our um, banking industries and airlines and so on. So it's an international economic uh, world order. And, and this is very clear. This is, I sound like Buchanan, but. Buchanan is right in this. I, I don't think this is a matter of opinion. I think this is a matter of sheer statistics. That you can see it with uh, NAFTA. You can see it in any number of ways. You, uh, I saw it most clearly uh, the year that the Challenger exploded. The six months after the Challenger exploded, AT&T and GE were called to testify before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee because the Cold War was still going on and AT&T and GE had decided to send up their newest satellite on a Soviet rocket. It was the only rocket going and the Foreign Relations Committee took, took, took this very seriously and said you can't do this, this is trading with the enemy and so on, this is our most sophisticated technology and so forth and so on. And the, the two corporations said, we really don't care what you think, Senator. It, it's not important because this is about money. And if we don't send it up on the Russian rocket, we're going to lose to the French. We can't afford to lose to the French. And you could make the speech to, you know, your friends at the Council on Foreign Relations, but no and goodbye. Um, another way of looking at the... Um, increasing isolation of the American equestrian order is in the move to the suburbs. That's everybody, a lot of other people have written about that, but we now have a country that is becoming increasingly feudal in its organization. We have, uh, the United States spends $20 billion a year on public law enforcement that includes all forms of public law enforcement, city, county, sheriffs, FBI, Justice Department, and so forth, we spend $40 billion on private law enforcement. Again, it's the, the retreat from the public realm. 
privatization of everything. The private is, is 50 years ago, the notion of the public sector, the public sphere, the public commonwealth would have connoted a good. Today, in most uh, usages, the word public connotes filth, squalor, incompetence, bad housing, fool politicians, and leaking brains, and so forth. And the word private is associated with the clear trout streams of Colorado and all good things flow from the private sector as opposed to the public sector. That is a, something that has happened in, in, in 50 years. Another, another way you see the uh, withdrawing is the sense of, the American sense of humor. 50 years ago, most of the jokes, or many of the jokes, were the have-nots making fun of the haves. This was the humor of Mencken, this was the humor of the movies of the 30s, this was the humor of the New Yorker in, in the 30s and so on. Today it's reversed. The humor is the haves making fun of the have-nots. It's the humor of the David Letterman show, it's the humor of P.J. O'Rourke, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the humor of the uh, hip movies of uh, Quentin Tarantino. I happen to find it very repellent, but nevertheless it is the, the uh, tone that's in place. Second thing that's happened in the last 50 years, and corollary to what I'm talking about at, in terms of the character of the American equestrian class, is the absence of interest in history or politics. <coughs> the, uh, one would have expected circa 1950, 1955, even as late as 1960, that the uh, people who enjoyed economic privilege would also be interested in the history of the United States, uh, interested in the intellectual content of the media, of newspapers. I went to work at uh, the New York Herald Tribune in 1960, which was the paper then owned by John A. Whitney, a leading Republican uh, presence in, in New York and on that wing of the Republican Party. And he, his ownership of the Tribune at the time was in the line of Pulitzer, who was the Democrat, or Greeley, who was a Republican, or even Colonel McCormick of the Chicago Papers, who was extreme, what we would today call extreme right. But Whitney's interest was primarily uh, an a political one. He had, a, he had an idea, he had a political idea. And the ownership of the, uh, the papers reflected that. Uh, they no longer do. I mean, now you would not associate, I would not uh, associate uh, the corporations that own the networks or that own the big, or the Disney company or whatever the big media syndicates are with a political idea. I'd associate them with an economic idea, uh, with the new international economic world order, yes, but with a with an idea that, uh, that somehow politics mattered, I wouldn't think so. And, and you can see that uh, uh, in the newspapers this morning. The front page of the Times today talks about the money likely to flow to the 
Democrat and Republican candidates for the House in next November's election. And clearly the lines are the same lines as, as Dwayne Andreas, uh, the head of ADM, who gives with the left hand to the Democrat and to the right hand with the Republican, because it really doesn't matter. Uh, there, there is only, in, in my view, and lots of other people's view, there's only one political party in the United States at the moment. And the point is power. The point is to be have connection, to have access to uh, the committee or to the tax legislation or to the telecommunications bill. Or it, it, it has very little to do with, with ideas. That is, again, a change, I think, over the last 50 years. Um, you see this it's, uh, at, on the stage at Yale University. You no longer can study uh, political history, uh, American political history. There are something called cultural studies. So the, histor the, American, the telling of the American tale has been broken down into telling of the black American tale or the feminist American tale or the ethnic Native American American tale and so forth and so on, and you can go through the entire, uh, you can take uh, as the, uh, there is no curriculum that went in the 60s, but you, in, order, in order to satisfy the requirement for late 18th century history in the United States, you can take it in uh, domestic pewter, butter churns, uh, the plight of women on the frontier, and so forth. All interesting subjects, but, but uh, not a coherent historical um, view. All right, if, if, if I'm correct then in the two uh, points about the American equestrian class over the last 50 years, point one being the, the feeling of no responsibility toward the less fortunate, and uh, two, the absence of interest in either uh, history or politics as, as a passionate interest, then what then becomes the, uh, the function of the press? And the, again, the, the parallels to me are very similar. When I first started working for the newspapers, I, my first job was as a newspaper reporter for the San Francisco Examiner in 1957, a Hearst newspaper, and I was the only... Uh, Ivy League person in the entire place. To use the word journalist was, would have been, uh, nobody used the word journalist. Only Englishmen and fops used the word journalist. <laughs> Americans used the word uh, reporter or newspaper man. Uh, nobody was paid any money event to speak of, and nobody expected to make any money. I mean, there was, one did not go into uh, newspaper reporting to become rich. One came in for probably, in my case, romantic ideas growing out of the uh, Depression and out of the autobiographies of novelists on the order of John O'Hara and Ernest Hemingway, but the notion was to somehow get at the truth and tell a story. It's a romantic notion. But the, uh, there was, uh, and we tended, as, as, as newspaper guys, to identify with the people in the bleachers, not with the people in the box seats. And that changed in the middle 60s. By 1967, 
um, the the ranks of the uh, of uh, the newspaper, what was the newspaper business, begins to fill up with people from Harvard and Yale and Princeton. The salaries begin to go up to three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year for television personalities, and the identification shifts from the uh, the crowd and the bleachers to the swells in the box seats. And I now think that's where we are. I think we now have, by and large, present company accepted, a courtier press. A, a, uh, I think of most of the major uh, news persons in the United States, and I think of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet. The idea that somebody like Bob Woodward is presented as an investigative journalist is a joke that can only be appreciated by somebody who remembers uh, what, those, what investigative journalism was. And, and the, uh, I turned down, the, as the editor of Harper's Magazine, <coughs> all the president's men in 19, whatever it was, 73, because there's not a single name source. And I mean, I'm, I said, <laughs> Okay, that's gossip stuff, that's great, but that's not what I learned as a, as a journalist. <laughs> and most of, his, most of what now, or much of what now passes for um, big-time journalism is that kind of whisper gossip. The dying Bill Casey of parts in my shell-like ear. The truth about Iran-Contra, et cetera, et cetera. Or in the as in the Halberstam's book, the best and the brightest, not a single name source. Conversations all invented and reconstructed. It passes in 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 a world that doesn't care about history uh, as truth. The um, or as as, uh, as entertainment. And I I don't have to dwell on all of that. I mean, but as the in, in, uh, in 1960, there was still something called the newspaper business, literature, theater, movies. By 1970, all of those what were once discrete disciplines have been fused into a, something called media. Um, we, you know, as the politicians become less responsible and light-minded, so do. Uh, so do uh, our journalists, so does our journalism. I mean, to go back to the, uh, the Roman example, uh, when uh, at the zenith of Rome's military power, the returning general would uh, have a triumph through the streets of Rome, standing in the chariot, and behind him would come the train of captured slaves and elephants trophies and so forth and but they would stand behind his shoulder in a chariot they would stand behind his shoulder there would be a man who would say remember you are mortal today our journalists we are now at the zenith of our economic power um, the wonder of an admiring world in, in many different ways and we ride in in triumph through the streets of New York or Washington or London, and our media stands behind, behind us in, in the chariot and says, know that you are a god. 
and, and that's the, you know, essentially that's the cover of Fortune magazine or the, you know, the worship of Bill Gates. And so it's a very dangerous attitude, I think. I think we get, have a less and less grasp of reality. We now have a country in which the ratio between what the CEO of a corporation makes and the lowest paid assembly worker or clerk in the same company, the ratio is 184 to 1. And even as recently as 20 years ago, the ratio was, the ratio was 15 to 1, which is what it is in France, England, and Japan. And that kind of, um, I've run out of time, I'm sorry I've run too long, but, but that given that kind of uh, world of wish, reverie, dream, uh, the public relations man who's sometimes difficult to tell from the Washington columnist standing behind you in the chariot and whispering in your ear that you're a god, given that I, I, I can't think of a more uh, necessary corrective uh, than uh, both the art and craft of journalism. And I'm proud to be associated with people who also believe that and with the six uh, young people who I hope will sharpen their pencils and go out and do battle in the uh, coming days. Thank you. I'd like to welcome you back to After the Moon. We will listen to how the elite controlled the world. One of the things that were mentioned in this presentation, we talk about how 2% of the population control 95% of the wealth in the U.S. Excuse me. We also talk about this whole question of Emphasis of the private sector or the public sector. See, public has been bad, private has been good. Talk about those questions, economic interest. But those who have economic interest, they put on priority or they have national interest. These were just some of the things you mentioned in terms of how to elite control the world. And we're going to get some response from our political panel and analysts today in terms of how they view this issue or how they lead the sort of world. But I keep your thoughts on this. Well, I, well, Brother Africa, you know, I don't think it's no big surprise in terms of the evolution of, you know, capital in the context of uh, uh, Western and American society. One of the things in the context of America, when we talk about the role of the Constitution in terms of, you know, class stratification, that's a very important point, you know, uh, that, we, that we have to address. One of the things that the Constitution, the first thing it did was to uh, validate the notion, you know, that uh, a minority of people will be protected. The minority of people they were talking about were wealthy landowners. So clearly, this uh, so clearly uh, this this notion that uh, certain people have a right to benefit from what was to become America was sanctioned, you know, by this, this particular con uh, document, the U.S. Constitution. Uh, but one thing, though, brother, after, you know, when he talks about the oligarchs, you know, you talk about essentially two million, you know, two million people controlling seventy-five percent of the country assets. It, it makes sense. I mean, one of the things that, if in fact, if the Constitution is saying that the that the the the, the, the end and be all is, is the accumulation of wealth. 
then of course then the pursuit has to be to accumulate your wealth. So what do you think with people who have have wealth? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to use their wealth to enhance their wealth, and that's precisely what they did. And so yeah, as a consequence, you know, you got you know two million people controlling seventy five percent of the country assets. And of course, from an economic perspective, that's absurd. Because one of the things in terms, particularly in terms of in terms of capitalism, one of the things that you want to do is to have money flowing through the system. And in order for the economy to expand, you have to have money flowing through the system. So what they're advocating is that, you know, a relatively small number of people have access to over seventy five percent of the country assets. It means that the money that you need to go through the system to make it expand simply doesn't happen. So as a kind, so as a consequence, the economy actually contracts, and we've been doing the American the, 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 the American media has done a very good job of convincing people that in fact that this contraction that we see when we talk about unemployment, homelessness, and a lack of money for education, a lack of money for welfare for children, when we see those kinds of cuts, uh, we we don't make the connection between uh, you know a small number of people, two million people controlling seventy five percent countries' assets. So we don't necessarily make that connection in terms of poverty and its fundamental structure in terms of how capitalism works. Uh, also, you know, when you talk about the changes to society in terms of, you know, uh, responsibility, it is, I think it's a very, very interesting one because I think in the context of African people, I think our responsibility was never there. Uh, you know, I think there have been historical leaders in the past who have advocated in terms of a change in terms of the treatment of African, the abhorrent treatment of African people. But as a system, I think the system has pretty much always been in, in, in place where the responsibility has always been to those who have capital. And I, on that point, I, I fundamentally disagree. Uh, and when he talks about the American century in terms of bringing light to, bringing light to the world, uh, this is quintessential you know, imperialism. I mean, that is precisely what it's all about. And so the consequence, when you get a situation like the Monroe Doctrine, when people, when ruling class say that we have a right to control the the, 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 the uh, all, all the activities in the Western Hemisphere, we control that, and the rest of the world cannot enter that, that hemisphere. Uh, it speaks to the kind of imperialist uh, 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 mandate uh, that was established by very, very wealthy people because, again, establishing the mandate ensure wealthy people in America uh, have access to a tremendous amount of wealth, and that's what it's all about. Again, it's all about the pursuit of wealth. And, and finally, Brother Africa, I think also, you know, when he talked about um, – you know, uh, wealthy people's relationship, you know, uh, you know, to, 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 to wealthy people around the world. I mean, that makes sense. When we talk about, when we think in terms of post-World War One, and we talk about in terms of, you know, U.S. investments, in terms of military hardware and so forth, so on, even in terms of borrowing money, given the fact that other economies collapsed as a result of war, uh, the U.S. understood that in terms of spreading that wealth, there was money to be made. And so investments, in, as a consequence, U.S. invested, in, invested in, uh, in, in, in countries all over the world. But also to recognize, you know, in terms of making money abroad, it also could make money internally by allowing people around the world, wealthy people, investing in the United States. So as a consequence, it's not surprising, you know, that the relationship of wealthy people only only concerned with other wealthy people around the world. And I think this is fundamentally a point that people in America have to begin to understand. And I wish that um, I wish that one, oh, um, African people will, re- will reject patriotism, and secondly, white people will reject racism, and understand that fundamentally, the system is skewed uh, to the interest of wealthy people. And so, when wealthy people enjoy the benefits of society, uh, it does so with the understanding is that the opportunity for other people, particularly poor, poor and working people, has to be limited. So, I certainly wish that people would begin to understand fundamentally the structural inequality that exists in the system we call capitalism. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Hakeem. Brother Anthony, your thoughts? 
on how the elite control the world. Uh, yes. Uh, they can, uh, as I think uh, what has happened is an intensification of the concentration of wealth. And uh, let's see, over the last 50 years, wealth has become more concentrated. And uh, let's see, and, um, uh, you know, you have uh, smaller and smaller sectors of the population controlling the world's uh, wealth and resources. And this has intensified uh, the division between uh, the toilers and uh, you know the uh, and the uh, the bourgeois elites. And uh, let's see. And I think uh, if you look at the events going on in the world, the struggle for power. Uh, is intensifying, not getting less. And the fact that uh, that the vehicles of information have become entertainment sources rather than sources of information, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, bodes, uh, you know, doesn't bode well for the working masses of the people. Because, uh, you know, the, tra- the, the traditional sources of information have become entertainment, not uh, vehicles of uh, uh, serious analysis anymore. And, uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, that uh, it's become a lot harder to disseminate uh, the truth than it used to be because of that. And uh, uh, let's see, and I think uh, imperialism uh, will intensify, you know, as long as the conditions uh, permit. And the class struggle worldwide will intensify also. Thank you, Brother Evans. This is Eleanor, your response to how the elite controlling the world. Both, both um, I concur with, uh, yeah, with Brother Anthony. What's happened in the United States is the concentration of wealth. You know, as the speaker said, like the difference in salaries for the top CEO and the bottom line toiler was 15%, not 184%. But now it's much more than 184%. What we see happening in the United States, we have 900 super rich people, super, super rich people whose income equals that of nations. And then we have about 20,000 others that are super. So it's no 2 million anymore. And then there's been a change from being a true reporter giving facts There is no investigative journalism. Now, we saw with this Ukrainian thing, you know, the first week of the war, there were 3,000 and some stories, but no sources. And we still don't receive anything from sources. And um, we saw where 
Australia had a deal with France to buy submarines, and it had been in place for decades or years, and suddenly it pulled out, and they're buying them from the U.S. So there was a big struggle between France and uh, uh, Australia, and the new Australian, and, you know, they actually withdrew their um, ambassadors from each other's country. I don't think we in the United States picked that up as world news because we don't hear about world news in the United States. And we see that um, now there's a move to agree with the United States to take out Russia simply for the EU to be able to get oil and gas at a commodity price. So the reality is in the United States, the Constitution, and I, I haven't studied the Constitution, so I need to go and study it, pick up a copy maybe at the government printing office. It wasn't written, it was written at landowners. It didn't say anything about wealthy landowners. It said about men who own land. It didn't even include women because women didn't have the right to vote till the 20th century. It was like that song I sang to you, Brother Africa, it wasn't written in the latter 20th century. It was written by some nuns who their job was to educate former slaves and Indian children. And they decided early when these people were being called Negroes and other things to make up a song that wasn't widely distributed nationwide to the African community. The Josephites and the Oblates, and, you know, a bunch of Catholics are trying to get Sister Mary Lang made a, ca a, a saint 120 years, 40 years later, but they don't make black American saints in the Catholic Church. We got everybody else of color, but not us. So the reality is, I don't know about whether or not you consider that revolutionary, but I'm sorry that I didn't tell you who it was and when it was while I was telling you the little nursery rhyme. But to go back, as I talked about the Supreme Court earlier, their interest is in limiting government control over business right now. Their interest is controlling affirmative action. Their interest is voting rights. You have to understand that, you know, everything's changing all the time. So, you know, they are, you know, they've taken uh, Clarence Thomas and these, maybe they're taking an originalist view of the Constitution and restricting that it didn't talk about certain things. Well, those things hadn't been invented. They weren't on the table. But clearly... Um, the TVs and the newspapers no longer belong to people. You know, a couple of months ago at the Kennedy Center, they give out something called the Mark Twain Awards. So this old guy, you got to be pretty old to get the award, it appears, got the award. And they had people like Dave Colbert, and they had uh, um, all these different people. And Dave Colbert, I bring him up, because he brought up just what the speaker brought up. He talked about he wanted to thank him, but the difference between him and Dave Corbett said himself is that he makes a lot of money, and the other guy didn't. He was a worker for the people. So the reality is journalism is no longer investigative. It's like entertainment.
and now they use algorithms to control what you get through this new media stuff. So we're really, really at a place we have not been in the world before. And we have in this country a greater concentration of wealth. And when he said the ruling class now has itself, what he's talking about is now we got multi-billionaire, billionaire, Africans, the richest black woman on earth is a South African sister. So now the white folks don't have to know black people in America. They can know wealthy black people from other countries as wealthy as they are. They meet at the same beaches, meet at the same hotels, and that's all they need to know is each other. We got ten, ten, ten of the wealthiest men on earth live in China. One lives in India. Nine live in the United States. So he's not talking about the American ruling class. He's talking about this new damn elite. And there's so many of them that they get to know each other. They don't have to know their countrymen. They're not patriotic to the United States. We knew, we know that the capitalists and imperialists weren't loyal to workers, so they exported their, their, their resources to China. They helped build big China because they found out that there was a billion people ready to work. One minute, so they, we get our seeds made in Pakistan. We get our, everything from China. So the reality is the world has changed. And the biggest fight in the U.S. in the domestic economy right now, which is the largest consumer economy on earth, is that we try to educate the working class not to keep identifying with the ruling class. Because some working class people are very comfortable, Brother Africa, but they got to work for a living. And the ruling class doesn't. Thank you, Brother Moses. Your thoughts on how the elite control the world? Are you with me, Brother Moses? Why are we waiting yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah, I'm here. Um, we're um, I'm at a loss for words right now. Um, um, no problem. Let's take a break right now. When we come back, you can speak to that in your final closing remarks for us today. This is Africa on the Move, discussing how they meet, control the world, and when we come back, our panelists will give us our final thoughts for the night.
Marxism, which Marx is the 
Father Scientific Associates. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we're going to go to caller 7236. You'll ask for a number 7236. What's your question or comment? 7236. Brother Africa, this is Sister Eleanor. I just uh, was going out on the other line. Yeah, you're getting a lot of feedback. I'm now on this line. A lot of phone was going out. Okay. You can you hear me, Brother Yes, we can. Hello? One, hello? Yes, hello? we can hear you, Sister Eleanor. Yes, we can hear you. Um, yes, thank you. Final I, thoughts. I was, well, I just wanted to remind people that on July 7th, there's going to be a fundraiser for medicine and medical supplies for Cuba. And it's about the success and challenges uh, that Cuba faces under the um, U.S. blockade. It's at Oakland Mills Meeting House at 5885 Robert Oliver Place in Columbia, Maryland at 6.30 p.m. And perhaps folks can get out of there. But my final thoughts for the evening, Brother Africa, is that the speaker about controlling things, you know, one time government kind of worked for people, and it is true that there was a period in the United States where the, quote, ruling class, when they weren't that wealthy, you know, 184% more than the lowest paid worker in the United States, really? Nothing's happened like that on planet Earth. Any, It's not, you know, that just doesn't happen. You know, and uh, that's what they tell us happened in China, but it's happening here in the United States. I don't know what's going on in China. But I know that news and the media is now controlled by those people. That didn't happen, that they, you know, controlled the means of production, the means of energy. No, no, no. And when you talked about Bush calling us refugees, he did. And look at the, the brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. Donald Trump appointed his uh, friends to run the electric company and pull the contract out they had there. And here it is years later, and the brothers and sisters that were annihilated in New Orleans are still living in trailers and all across the country, many of them, not all, but everyone never got to return home and lost their property, and they were landowners. In Puerto Rico, People are still having to have food, water, and other essentials shipped into the mountains in the island that's, you know, 35 miles wide. So the issue right now is this extraordinarily wealthy ruling class that does not have to interface with intellectuals. And now the CIA is even advertising that they're, you know, advertising. They want everybody to know they're welcome. Same-sex marriage is everybody. They go to Yale. I knew folks that attended Yale. They come back, and they don't identify any longer with the working class. They don't identify themselves as an ordinary worker. And these were African people, African-American people. So right now we have to combat authoritarianism. That doesn't mean drop our fight against capitalism and imperialism. But this 
you know, this big brother, this authoritarian class of troglodytes where you're like a robot. You just repeat what you hear and you don't know where it's coming from and who, and there are no facts to substantiate it. And like the war in the Ukraine, the proxy war that the U.S. fights. Why is the capital of the United States looking like the Ukrainian flag every night? That's not happening in Germany, not happening in France. Germany wants their oil and gas right up. At the NATO meeting last week, the prime minister, you know, Pedro Sanchez, the prime minister of Spain, said where he was at, you know, they're fighting having a narrow nationalist group in Spain wanting to make themselves an autonomous nation because Spain hasn't been holding up under the uh, under that euro. You know, so it's all about money. But the main thing is in this country, there's some cloudy lines. We have a, a, a weak Congress. And I don't mean weak because of their inability to pass laws. They're ignorant, uninformed, miseducated, easily manipulated by Capitol Hill lobbyists. That hasn't happened in the United States too often. These Congress people knew what they had, and they wanted to control that power. But now, uh-uh, you can buy them. It's just the matter is how much, because these people have that much money to spend. They take working class art, like Rivera's um, um, mural, where he has Eisenhower and the, and the Dulles boys, you know, showing how they overtook Guatemala, or they take Andy Warhol's Marilyn Monroe and sold it last month. $497 million. Whoever paid that much for art? These people have far too much money. $197 million. The point is, is that the, the guy told you in the article how power was distributed. It's now far too concentrated into the people with money's hands. So we got to educate the American public and let the people know, hey, man, this ain't about. And we have always had a ruling class, but our goal is to have the workers be the rulers. Not a few rich guys. Jeff Basil didn't say, I earn money. He thanked the workers and the shoppers who buy on Amazon. Don't buy a damn thing on Amazon. Stop being a member of the Petty Bush Thought V in action. And, you know, many people put up, got a lot of words, but they don't put the words in action. That's it. Thank you. And good night, and thank you so much. And I love your analysts. You know, I, I'm stimulated. I, you know, try to bring something to the table. And everyone have a wonderful week. And um, I just want to say, Sister Mary Lang and her writings of the 1940s and 50s, Far before they called, when they were calling us Negroes, she was calling us Africans and teaching five and six years old. That's who we are and what we are. So I just want to praise her name tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Hockey. You find a thought? Yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, you know, you know. And looking back, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, TV personalities was an individual named William F. Buckley. 
Now, Buckley was a, 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 a white conservative. And the reason why he, in my estimation, he was exceptional. Even though he was conservative, he was very, very honest. Uh, you know, he called it like he saw it. And uh, I, I really respected that. So from that, you know, I really learned, you know, from listening to Buckley, is that one of the things that we got to be very, very careful about is that we got to consciously, we have to fight this, this sectarianism that exists in the movement. See, for those of us who really believe that our particular ideology is the only guiding ideology in terms of bringing about the revolution in society, I think it's a faulty hypothesis. I think one of the things that we talk about is, 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 uh, is conditions change. Uh, our response to those conditions may not necessarily encompass our particular ideology, but if we have overall appreciation of all ideologies, then we can, we can theoretically, we can figure out in terms of what is the proper use in terms of theology, in terms of bringing about the kind of revolutionary we seek. So I think we have to reject this nonsense about sectarianism that your line is the only correct line, because even in the context of ideologies, there are disagreements. So sectarianism is, is, is fundamentally a problem in terms of advancing the movement, and we should all remember that, and that's very, very clear. And secondly, let me just say something in terms of the U.S. Constitution. I think one of the things we have to be very, very clear on is that when they talk about when they talk about landowners, the only people who owned the land in the, during the beginning of the, of the of the union were wealthy people. Let's be very clear of that. It weren't poor people who owned land. It wasn't middle income people who owned land. It was aristocracy from England, the wealthy who owned land. So let's be clear about that. So there's no ambiguity in terms of who owned the land historically. We talk about the Constitution when it defines our minority. They're talking about wealthy landowners, particularly wealthy white landowners. There's no ambiguity about that. That's essentially what they're talking about. Uh, and finally, Brother Africa, I think also in just in terms of the power of the media, you know, one of the things, the, 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 the clip that you played, and he talked about in terms of, um, you know, is, is, is focus changing in terms of, you know, in, you know uh, bringing, you know, uh, staffing a lot of these organizations with people out of Yale. And so clearly, this, 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 so, so clearly the, the implication is that by having these individuals from these Ivy League universities, you, not only do you get the class perspective, but you get people who are more willing to, uh, and, and, uh, to uh, actually articulate that class perspective. And so, therefore, when we look in terms of the newsrooms now, when we look at people who present this news, uh, the reality is that a lot of times this, this news is just so nonsensical, you wonder how the hell can people with a straight face actually uh, read the stuff on air. But then again, it's all about money. So if you come from an Ivy League institution and you're heavily indebted, uh, one of the things you want to do is you want to maintain that job in terms of paying off those student loans. And so, therefore, you become complicitous in terms of, you know, a system which you know fundamentally is skewed toward wealth. Uh, but you participate anyway simply because you understand in order to pay off them debts, you got to play ball. And to, and, and to that extent, also we understand people across the board, irrespective of what university you graduate from, you have debts to pay, and, you, and, and they understand that, which is precisely why uh, President Biden refuses uh, to relinquish or to get rid of those those student loan debts, because if you free people from debt, then you literally you free them in terms of expressing what they really feel. And what you don't want to do is for people to, particularly people out of the universities, to freely express what they feel. So you constantly keep the pressure on them by keeping that debt in front of them, which makes it makes it uh, makes it uh, uh, makes it very difficult for them to actually speak out in terms of what's really going on. And that's precisely part of the strategy. But as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, it's key. Uh, one of the things I certainly hope people would, would appreciate you know, after the nice discussion 
is that the situation that uh, confronting humanity is, is deteriorating leaps and bounds. Uh, it's just inevitable in terms of the uh, the the the, uh, the um, um, fascism uh, we're in this ugly head in this society. The question is, what are we going to do to prepare ourselves for the inevitable? And uh, I, I encourage people to build those institutions uh, in terms of preparing for the future. And have a good night, Brother Africa. You have a good night. You say, Brother Haki, Brother Anthony, your final thought. My final thought for tonight is that um, that in light uh, of uh, you know the uh, uh, the forces against us, uh, let's see, our battle is above all ideological, and we must join a a, a political organization that is working for people's liberation. One such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. And people can learn more about that by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And you can find out more about our ideology, which is Encrumism Terrorism, and about a program, which is to build that critical mass of cadre that is going to transform the conditions necessary for liberation. Thanks for having me. And we thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program. And we'd like to make an announcement that the schedule. Speed Ride Trip to Cuba, that was scheduled for July 23rd to 31st, has been rescheduled to December the 27th to January the 3rd, year 2023. Based upon the response from, the, from our communities, many people wanted to go, but felt like at this point in time, because of the difficulties of the economic situation that's going on now, they asked the request if we could move it at a later date. So now, request, this is what we're going to do. So for those who still wanted to go in one more time, you have additional time to make that reality. So put down your schedule. If you're moving or hosting the trip for December 27th to January 3rd. And for tonight, we would like to remind you that Africa on the Move is a program that comes on weekly every Sunday evening. It's a product of the African Women's Association. We try to speak truth to the powerless, to the powerful, and to provide you information that you can use as a tool for liberation. We look forward to seeing you next week as we discuss this whole question U.S. and its crimes against humanity. Join us. Until next time, like always, we will continue to go forward, our backwards, level. And remember, Africa, African people want to be free and will be free. We'll see you next week. This has been Africa. Africa, Africa, want you to be free. I'm a-
system It is a plot against my people But it can be for us Nobody can be against us If that is for my people I don't know who can try Who can try to be my enemy My Africa want to be free Africa, 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 I want you to be free.
America And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows what to say Save your soul Lord knows from Western America The Constitution A noble piece of paper With free society The struggle but they died in vain And now democracy Is a ragtime on the corner Hoping for some rain it's looking like he's hoping, hoping for some rain. And I see the robbers first in barren treetops. They're watching last-ditch races marching across the floor. But just like the peace behind that vanished in our dreams, never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America And all of the hillers Have been killed Or betrayed Yeah, but in America And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows what to say Nobody fighting cause 
Right on. 